you want to do the intro? No. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of the Bitch and Brew albums of 2018 special. My name's Danny Randon. I'm the host of this podcast. His name is Brad Thorne. He's the guest of this podcast. Hello. Um, if you haven't listened to part one yet, it is uh, now available to listen to on all the usual platforms Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Spotify. Um, I would highly recommend listening to the first part uh, because we talk about. 10 brilliant albums each um, and we had a good time didn't we we had a great time we had a great time I mean it was literally about two minutes ago <laughs> yeah. that we recorded it's been a couple of days since we put that one out I hope you had fun going to listen to some of the records that you hadn't listened to yet we've had another mince pie mm. we're feeling a little bit more fueled and refreshed yeah. and ready to go and god it's been fucking great so far thank you so much for being a part of this no I love it it's, oh, it's music is just great isn't it oh love it love the rock <laughs> music woo right number 10 my number 10 is Basement with Beside Myself right yes wonderful um, as good a kind of straight up rock record I think as you could hope for this year okay yeah you may disagree. Uh, for me, I think there isn't a huge amount to say about this record, and that's not a negative thing. I don't think. No, it's just it is a really good rock record. It uh, it's got shades of kind of emo. Um, so basement. Should we give a little bit of background? Uh, yeah, let's basement? give a brief background because they are they have become a huge kind of cult name almost with yeah. this with this more contemporary wave of emo and alternative mm-hmm. rock. Yeah, they've become kind of quietly massive, haven't they? Oh, th- yeah, almost certainly. Um, this is their fourth album. Previously, they've been a bit more grungy, mm-hmm. a bit more of a heavy guitar tone in the past. This one is just one huge song after another. Um, the vocalist, Andrew Fisher, has really kind of upped his vocals in terms of how kind of clean they are, how, how powerful. Mm-hmm anthemic they're just brilliantly written songs um stigmata is the standout for me okay it's just a massive it's just a massive chorus tons if you're into jimmy eat world i was going to say this is the most jimmy Eat world that basement have sounded i've got a kind of a bugbear with basement okay i think they've been a really good singles band up to this point mm-hmm. they've made uh, some good albums yeah like you say this is their fourth album this is their first for me, which is consistently great from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I would probably say to you and anyone else that feels that way that Colour Me and Kindness, which is the second album... Which is probably the sort of closest thing they've yeah, had to me for a great it, um, album. It's, it's the first one I heard from them. It's much more kind of in the straight-up emo mm. um, area, but um, for me, that, I, I really, really love that record. Yeah. I think it's great. What you were saying about the straight-up rock bits, there's a song called um, Nothing Left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that song was on The Colour and the Shape by Foo Fighters. Yeah. Instead of this record. Uh, and that, you know, that is obviously one of the best records of the 90s. <laughs> I think Be Here Now is... It might actually be my favourite Basement single to date. Oh, wow. It, it's another standout. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it kind of... I'm looking forward to... Uh, seeing them kind of 
play some of these songs live alongside you. So you went to see him a couple of weeks ago, right? Yes. At the eighteen sixty five in yeah. Southampton. Indeed. I unfortunately missed out. Mm. Um, how how was it? In, yeah. In sort of I briefly. Mean, I mean, you did miss out. Not to not to rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> but um, especially with Joyce Manor supporting. Yeah. I mean, fucking hell. I will see Joyce Manor eventually. You will. They're coming to. Uh, They're coming to the Southampton Joiners on four twenty. <laughs> Basement have always been brilliant live. Um, yeah, I think that these songs just add more to their arsenal and more that they can bring out. Mm. Um, they played the main stage of Two Thousand Trees. I saw about ten minutes of their yeah. set. So I really love Basement Life, which is what frustrates me that they've not, up to this point, mm. until this point, really done a consistently great album. Yeah, this is now an album that matches their live set for me, and that is. Yeah. Awesome to hear. It's their best album today, no no question. I think that's been the general consensus yeah. as well. Um they're just they're a really cool band. Their their sort of stage presence and their their whole image. Mm. They're really cool, which I think is can be quite an important thing, I think. Yeah. You know, if a band if a band's cool. I haven't got much more to say about this. No, honest. no, I think I think I, yeah, it's a great straight up alternative rock record, like you said. Uh, you know, bits of Foo Fighters, bits of Jimmy Eat World. There's uh, the second to last song, um, "Reason for Breathing," mm-hmm. kind of indicates some more sort of interesting progressive thing. I don't think they're going to become like tall all of a sudden, <laughs> but the sort of off kilter rhythm of of "Reason for Breathing," I was like, oh wow, that's something a bit it shows what they're from... capable of. Yeah. I think I've kind of misjudged Basement a little bit up to this point. Should I go back and maybe listen to their other albums? Definitely go again? back and check out Colour Me and Kindness. Mm. Um, I could see why people would think the first album leaves a little to be desired. Right. Um, I still absolutely love it. Mm. Um, it's the last album for me that I think was the almost the prototype for this one. It. it yeah, when it you listen to songs like Aquasun well. and mm-hmm. uh, For You The Moon. Yeah. Um, still a good record. Still, yeah, but, um, it's a, it's a, it's a deep, it's a, it's a good record. Yeah. This is a great record, yeah, and for great. you, it's a, an awesome record. Yeah. So, okay, so uh, my number ten, I kick my top ten off um, with probably the one album out of my list that you'll see appearing on a lot of people's lists this year, and rightly so. It has been such a joy, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, seeing uh, idols get the acclaim that they have this year and that's because of their second album Joy is an Act of Resistance I'm not going to lie I wasn't fussed about Idols at first that first album Brutalism while everyone was going absolutely rago over it I rather embarrassingly I couldn't tell them apart from Slaves mm-hmm. how wrong I was they are not even in the same ballpark um, I feel like a bit of a mug now to be honest because this album is so fiercely intelligent and it seethes with anger at all the things we should be angry about in 2019, much like I was saying with the Camp Cope record. Mm -hmm. So there are songs about things like toxic masculinity, which is something which really does, you know, get my goat. Yeah. Um, uh, The song uh, Never Fight a Man with a Perm. Yeah. Uh, It's fucking genius. Uh, Samaritans again another great song um, there's songs about immigration Danny Nadelko being one of the lead singles did you see that when they played it on Jules Holland yes I... it was a bit like that legendary at the drive-in performance it felt like one of those Jules Holland performances one of those rare 
George Holland performances <laughs> that people will be talking about. People from our world will be talking about. I really hope so. Yeah. Um, this album's kind of split opinion amongst the rock scene. Yes. Some people either absolutely love it or absolutely fucking despise it and don't think it's a punk record and... Yeah, I think it's a question even more than kind of loving and despising it. There's a big question about kind of where it sits. Yeah. In terms of in terms of where it lives and, and the bands that it kind of shares mm. an identity with. I I have totally fallen in love with the way it balances a slightly tongue in cheek, very British sense of humour with a real snarl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really gritty in places. Sonically, it doesn't half rattle along. But lyrically, I mean, if we were purely basing um, our albums of the year on lyrics, this would probably be in my top three albums of the year. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling we're going to talk about this album a little bit more in a bit. Yeah. So I'll say a little bit more later on. But yeah. my number 10... Idols, Joy is an Act of Resistance. Uh, your number nine. My number nine uh, is Mer with Yord. Cool, right. I forgot this was on your list. Yeah, it's just a little bit lower down than it was on yours. I No, really higher up. A little bit higher yeah, up sorry. than it was on yeah, my list. It's lower we're down going, we're going in ascending order, mate. <laughs> on my piece of paper, it's lower down. Okay. <laughs> um, this is just a, a great record. And I think there's, a, there's an element of genius to the way it compresses the you know like we were talking about the Death Heaven record mm. takes similar soundscapes and really compresses it and but I, I don't want to compare it too much to Death Heaven no because it is quite different yeah it is it is quite different to Death Heaven I think it's I think it's much more melodic than Death Heaven mm-hmm. and I also think the production is is far I far think it's much more metal than uh, yes. Death Heaven as well yeah yeah and I think no wonder it's it's resonated more with with people, you know, quote unquote, in our world, in, yeah. in that kind of rock and and metal scene, because cause it is just it is more metal. It it's absolutely crushingly heavy. Yeah, at times. some of the riffs on it are just mm-hmm. again. There's there's quite a lot of post punk. I hear the Cure. I hear my bloody Valentine. A yeah. Little bit, um, which is something that that is going to get me on board pretty quickly um we've spoken about this album quite a lot it it's it's really lush despite being really heavy yeah um much like i said about conjurer i fail to see how anyone that likes the heavier end of things can't find something to like in this to be perfectly honest and it's a lot more accessible than things like death heaven or oathbreaker yeah it's maybe a good place to start i think like we said on the first part of this podcast mm-hmm. if you feel like you maybe didn't instantly vibe with the Deaf Heaven record yeah go and check out this one Merle yeah, definitely Yord so that is your number nine mm-hmm. great my number nine um, again it's great to see the Jews that they're finally getting owed uh, this year is Palm Reader ah. um, and their third album Braille um, holy fucking shit this record is amazing it is. So, I've I've been a fan of Palm Reader for a long time, mm-hmm. about seven or eight years at this point, uh, and they really sort of made me stop and kind of tell them from Adam um, on the last album, besides the ones we love, mm-hmm. which is an incredible, incredible album. Yeah. 
Um, this only goes further. And the thing about palm reader is, I was hoping that they would refine themselves a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I used to see them live, and it was just chaotic. Yeah. And it's like, that's great, but, you know, I'm not seeing a huge amount of variety here. Yeah. This record, you get bits of Deftones. Yeah. You get bits of Will Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they've just been on tour with Will Haven, so I, I think they went down a storm on that tour, if I can... If I can recall from the things I've heard about it, I think the biggest improvement, you know, Dan Dan is a fantastic drummer, and um, you know their guitarist Andy Andy Gillen with his magnificent hair, um, and Sam, awesome awesome guitarists, and and Posh their bassist really makes a a fantastic rhythm section alongside Dan, um, but the person who's improved most on this record uh, is Dan again, <laughs> their their um their singer. Um, just for his vocal range, he has got such a growl on him mm-hmm. and such a scream. But then his uh, his clean vocals on songs like Like a Wave and in the chorus of Swarm um, are so accomplished. And then we go on to songs around the sort of middle of the album. There's there's two songs. There's Inertia um and then there's a slightly shorter sort of instrumental track called breach mm-hmm. and that's where the deftones elements really come in yeah. sort of very esoteric and i just think the variety that palm reader have kind of dished up with this record has opened up a whole new world of possibilities for them but they've still managed to remain crushingly heavy and powerful and fair fucks to them so good to see that they've worked hard for so long mm-hmm. and people are finally paying attention to them yeah. on this record. Not not that I would tell them that to their face because they're all a bunch of awful fucking bastards. <laughs> so, Palm Reader, Braille, is my number nine. Your number eight. My number eight. Spoke about it just a moment ago. Um, Idols, Joy is an act of resistance. Cool, all right then. Um, I don't have a huge amount to add. I think you've covered it very, very nicely. I think, you know, in the the, the kind of slaves comparisons, I, I I don't think they're... On on surface level, does it sound a little bit like slaves? Well, yeah, it does. Yeah, it I does. mean, that was kind the, of my initial impression yeah, of Idols. I think the difference That's... being, scratch below the surface of slaves and there's nothing, there's yes, nothing there. exactly. An empty chasm. Scratch <laughs> beneath the surface of idols and and there is a lot and a lot of very deep stuff Mm. a lot of um stuff that will resonate i think in in society and personally there's a lot there there's Mm. a lot there beneath the surface um i think it's punk of course it's punk yeah um i think they have a problem with being called a post-punk band if i'm right in thinking although there are definitely some post-punk elements of this yeah yeah, there is. I don't think I would call them a post-punk band. It there's the pace, elements there's of it. Pace, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The whole accent thing doesn't doesn't bother me. No. Um. Just to address some of the kind of frequent criticisms, but I sh- this is the kind of band that I shouldn't really like. I think they're what you might call maybe like a a pitchfork type band. Yeah. That sort of band, I normally find that they leave me a little bit cold and I don't quite see... Mm. Thinking man's indie rock sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. But, um, but Idols, I I just really love them. And I, and I loved the first album 
when I when I found out about it as well. I need to go back and listen yeah. to that first album. Um, Brut- brutalism, yeah. Is the name. Yeah. I mean, it's quite similar. There hasn't been a a huge jump. Okay. Although I'd say this one is is better. I would say there's been a jump in like we didn't talk about the opening song Colossus, mm-hmm. um, which I love because it references Stone Cold Steve Austin and <laughs> Ted DiBiase. You uh, don't know who they are. Oh uh, yeah, well, prick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the way that kind of builds. I was talking a lot about the lyrics, and I think the the rest of the band. Uh, it, so it's an extremely emotional record. Another yeah. song uh, being June. Yeah. Which is. Uh, uh, their singer Joe Talbot, um, from what I understand, um, he's the father to a stillborn baby. Mm-hmm. Is is what happened, and it's very very tragic. And um, you would fully respect anyone not wanting to sing about that. Yeah. But he does it, and the way he composes himself and yeah. and channels the the sort of very raw emotion of that experience, something which I hope I never experience. Mm-hmm. And he does it masterfully, and it's. I think he's a, he's a bit of a poet. I think it's fair to say, in in no way yeah. he he um, he writes his lyrics. And... When when you think about Joe Talbot from Idols, you his kind of parallels. You're talking about parallels with Becca from Marmosets earlier. His kind of parallels, I would say, are people like Ian Curtis from Joy Division, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Mikey Smith from The Fall. Mm-hmm. I just think he does things as a as a sort of a vocalist and and a poet, like you said, that no other band from of their ilk has been able to do for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was saying about Colossus was, I think, the way that kind of builds and builds and builds, and then you think the song's over and all of a sudden it just absolutely explodes yeah. and it's an absolute rager and oh my god what is going on it's incredible holy shit it's not the Joe Talbot show here no um, they're a very accomplished band and they have become quite a massive band I tried to get tickets for the tour they announced didn't get them don't, don't want to talk about it it's fine I'm over <laughs> it. Um, I don't really know why they've become so massive but I'm really glad they have because it's it's real and it, and it's raw. Yeah. And it and it doesn't seem to really hold anything back. And mm. that's exactly the kind of music that I think we'd all love to yeah. to see going big. So. Yeah, and it it doesn't stink of industry like slaves no. does. No, not at all. Doesn't yeah. stink of poo. <laughs> stink <laughs> of poo. <laughs> you do know you can swear on this podcast, I know. right? No, I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the bad swears. <laughs> Um, you don't swear that much. You're quite a polite. Oh fuck quite off! Well mannered. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off! You can. <laughs> Sorry, I, don't, I went into Tom Hardy playing Bronson there for a second. <laughs> Have you seen that film? Yeah. It's fucking bizarre. It's isn't a bizarre it? film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about a bizarre man in real life, as I yeah. understand. So. But we're not going to talk about Charles Bronson right no. now. We're going to talk about my number eight record of the year, which is an album we've already talked about. But oh my God, I can't wait to talk about it again because it is Maya by Conjurer. Uh, Holy shit. Did I mention this is a debut album? Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> I have a question to ask you. Okay. The is... answer's no. Okay. <laughs> Are Conjurer the best heavy, and I mean heavy band in Britain at the moment um, for me 
although they're quite different, no, there is a couple that I like more. I know you wanted to hear yes. I think there's a couple of bands in a similar sphere. Okay. Um, but in terms of their specific sound, then yeah. Yeah. I don't hear any bands doing specifically what they're doing. I think, yeah, in terms of extreme music. Yeah. Because heavy is very, very broad. Yeah. And there are I some, think, yeah, and there are some heavy really, bands. really, really bastard heavy. Extreme. Yes, I would say it's between them and Employed to Serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, both holy raw bands. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a knife fight between the two of them to be the best extreme mm-hmm. band in Britain at the moment. Certainly yeah. of their generation. Yeah. Um, and I guess the thing with Conjurer is what Employed to Serve do is, is an element of what Conjurer Yes. Do, yeah. Know, kind of hardcore. Yeah. Uh, employed to serve is obviously much more hardcore. Yeah. But with the conjurer, you've got uh, with the conjurer, with the, <laughs> the conjurer, um, you've got death metal, you've got black metal, you've got black and death metal, um, you've got grindcore, fucking hell, wretch. Yeah. I thought I was gonna shit myself the first time I heard wretch. <laughs> it is one of the most sort of blindingly heavy yeah. songs I I think I've ever heard. And it doesn't let up. Yeah. It is nihilistic, it is spiteful, but then it's also on an album which has a song like Thankless. Yeah. They've got two vocalists, yeah. uh, Brady and Dan, and the vocal interplay between them is fucking fantastic, mm-hmm. by the way. Dan's got a sort of deeper death metal bellow where Brady's got a sort of more black metal-y shriek. Yeah. I think the vocal interplay between them is one of the best things it about this record. It makes the deeper vocals, I think, hit even harder. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. contrast. Yeah, yeah. especially on um, uh, Choke, the opening song, yeah. where they kind of do the same thing in tandem mm-hmm. um, and it's just you feel like you're not going to make it all the way through this record um, but you do yeah. and all the better for it it's a scary thought that they've only just scratched the surface with this yeah I mean I think I definitely do think they are the if we're talking about extreme music I think employed to serve have got big things coming in 2019. We know there's a new album coming out. Mm-hmm. They've just signed to Spine Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, as far as 2018 goes, and hopefully into the future, Conjurer are the best extreme band in Britain right now. Um, and I, I don't know how long we can talk about this. We're just going to end up spaffing off about it for ages. <laughs> Should we just put Conjure on and and have a cuddle to it? Yeah, let's not worry about the other. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. All right, well, thank you very much, guys. <laughs> this has been the Bitch and Brew Albums of 2018 special. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, number eight, Conjure Admire. If we haven't said enough for you to go and check out this record, then you're a bit of a twat, really. <laughs> um, Brad, your number seven. My number seven, we've spoken about it a bit, is um, Palm Reader. With Braille. Cool. I'm really it, glad um, this uh, this made your list. Yep. Yeah, I'm just... Really professional, mate. Yeah, I know. Um, palm reader. <laughs> Braille. Um, <laughs> um, well, you are wearing a palm reader long sleeve I at the moment. Wearing, it's I lovely, actually. I absolutely love this long sleeve. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a reinvention for palm reader, isn't it? I don't know if they would feel that way, but from yeah. the outside looking in it it feels like a a bit of a fresh 
a bit of a fresh start, I suppose. Yeah. They, second wind. A second wind. They feel real kind of really energised. Mm. Um, I like, I, as you said, I love all their records. Yeah. Um, the second one was really, really great. This is the best one, I think, by some distance. By a country yeah. fucking mile. Um, I, yeah, I haven't got a huge amount to add of that. You covered it pretty well. Um, the vocals are great. I think they're the biggest point of, of um, growth, okay. I think. Um, Internal Winter was my most played song on Spotify, and I think that tells you all about I how, much that. I, how much I love this record. And The way that kind of builds from those sort of dirty yeah. guitars... Um, I mean, we didn't even talk about the guitars. Uh, the, sorry, we'll come back to Internal Winter in a minute. That's, uh, there's a song called The Turn mm-hmm. towards the end of the album. The way that ends with those sort of down-tuned guitars, the sort of sludgy grooves. Yeah. Again, like, I thought I was going to shit myself listening to Conjurer. <laughs> I actually shit myself listening to The End of The Turn by Palm Reader. Just thinking Lovely about stuff. it makes my stomach bubble a little bit. <laughs> the guitars in this are, I use the word, it's a frenzy. It sounds yeah. like a, but in the best way possible. It, yeah, it is a frenzy of of instruments, um, with these with these vocals over the top, and sometimes clean vocals, which I don't mm. think you'd expect to hear. But but you're right, they are they are really great clean vocals. I I really hope this has given Palm Reader the yeah. the inspiration to. I think I, I if, think another thing actually. Sorry, um, is you said it's good to see them getting their dues. I think that, yeah, they are. They have really got some some great juice from this album, but I I don't think enough. I think they should be absolutely held up as one of the best mm. because they are one they of the, the best bands that Britain has, and they should be lauded as such constantly. And I love their long sleeve, and uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so Palm Reader and Braille, um, a great album. From a bunch of bellends. Um, my number seven album is my album of the summer. It's Baydream by Culture Abuse. Yeah. Now, not to give any spoilers away, I was shocked to not see this one on your list. Uh, yeah, and I didn't even mention it when we did honourable mentions in the last episode, did I? No. Um, which was stupid of me. I do really love this record. So, I'm not just like pointing a finger and going, you should have this in your list. (laughs) It is my album of the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's weird to say that when you think about where Culture Abuse were on the last album, Peach, which was a very upbeat punk record, but more in a sort of that sort of ramshackle, uh, sort of that scene that was kind of led by bands like Pup. Yeah. And a band we'll be talking about a little bit later on as well. Um, hashtag foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they came out with that single last year called So Busted. And it was almost, you know, when you take a needle off a record abruptly, like... Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was great. It yeah. was an awesome sort of stonery uh, power pop song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm really intrigued to see where they go with this. And they've gone exactly where I wanted them to go, which is somewhere between So Busted and the first album. It's, um, I think, the sound of a band finding their their sound, mm. you know. And it's the sound of a band being taken out of their comfort zone. Now, mm-hmm. I don't remember the... We, we tried to get Culture Abuse on the podcast, 
Unfortunately, it didn't happen at the very last minute, which was a shame because I would have loved to have talked to them about their... Um, so the producer's name, unfortunately, escaped, I believe it's Justin De La Garza. Um, so he is a Grammy-nominated producer. Sorry, I'm going about this all sort of <laughs> from guesswork again uh, because I didn't do my fucking research <laughs> before the podcast. Anyway, they worked with a Grammy-nominated producer who has previously worked with bands like Paramore mm-hmm. um, and also M83, I think. Ah. So um, It's not the last time they'll be mentioned. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll leave it that there. Okay. Well, they didn't bring out an album this year, did they? No. No? Well, fine. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but having bringing that real shiny pop production to a San Francisco punk band was must have been quite a scary prospect for them. Mm-hmm. And I re- read an interview with David Kelling, who is a fantastic vocalist and a real sort of beacon of beacon of light and personality especially mm. we're going to talk about them live in a bit yeah um and um you know i think he said in an interview that they very much nearly binned the whole record at one point and epitaph oh. records who signed them said they can do it it'll cost them a lot of money but they'll do it and he was like no man it's just it's just scary yeah um but at the same time they sound completely at ease mm-hmm. and completely sort of content on this record it's a very laid back it's a very laid back record um, but uh, it keeps you on your toes at the same time Mm -hmm. Uh, it's got a sort of bristly punk energy to it on songs like um, uh, Rats in the Walls uh, my personal favourite song Dip Mm -hmm. uh, which make another reference to them uh, as we were talking about with Fucked Up earlier it sounds like that sort of 2001 uh, sort of slightly scuzzy New York yeah. indie rock sort of scene you know bands like the Dandy Warhols and the yeah. Strokes and that it kind of sounds like that Yeah, it's far more punk mm-hmm. in its approach and, and and its execution live certainly um, but it's it's it just sounds very very cool yeah it's a cool sounding record it's a really record. cool record it makes me want to wear sunglasses indoors <laughs> and only like you know I feel like a bellend if I wasn't listening to culture abuse and doing that, like there's no excuse for wearing sunglasses indoors unless you're listening to Baydream by culture mm-hmm. abuse. Yeah, it's. I think maybe why it doesn't appear on my list. It is the ultimate summer record, and it maybe got left in the summer by okay. me. Okay. Um, which, you know, doesn't mean to say you can't listen to it. Mm. Um, I just, I just haven't sort of since the summer. Mm. I listened to it on the drive back from two thousand trees. When I was disgustingly hungover, the sun was shining. And you probably it, shouldn't have been driving, Brad. I wasn't driving. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't driving. Um, I was sat in the back feeling sorry for myself. Okay. Um, Did you stop at that services where they had the KFC? Yeah, on the balcony. The balcony. Yeah, KFC yeah. On the balcony, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely um, there. That was like an ultimate I had a really good poo there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a poo. I wouldn't say it was good. But... No, I had a really good poo there. It was like... I slayed a demon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, or the demon slayed me, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, <laughs> While eating a KFC. No. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was trying to say is um, this album has just got a great... I think vibe is such a... It doesn't really hold much weight as a word, does it? But mm. this album does have a great vibe. Like oh, it, yeah. it just picks you up mm. 
Um, and that's what it did that day. That's what it did kind of throughout the summer. Yeah. And you said we'll talk about them live. And it ends on such a, a wonderful sort of bright note. Bluebird on my shoulder. Really, really wonderfully laid back. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to... It's impossible to not smile along with this I record. Think, and I think in this day and age, yeah, you've my, got to really cherish those records that just make you smile. That was going to be my point. I think there's a real space for records that are just upbeat and, and put a smile on your face. Cool. So that's number seven, Culture Abuse, Bay Dream. Brad, you're number six. We're my so close six. to the top five now. Isn't that exciting? Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> my number six... When you said about Conjurer being the best heavy band in Britain, I was I was thinking about about this band and, and another band, another couple of bands. This is one of the bands. Okay. I was thinking <laughs> of. <laughs> That's good. Um, my number six is um, Rolo Tomasi, Time Will Die, and Love Will Bury It. Right. Okay. This is a great record. It's um. Do you think it's while you're looking for your notes? Do you think again that it's Rolo Tomasi's best album? Yes, I, I'm not um, not hugely familiar. Okay. With their with their past. They're with a their band work. They're, they're a band I've always greatly respected as opposed to loved. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, I think Grievances that was the album before this. Mm-hmm. That is an album. That I've listened to quite a lot. That's an album that I like quite a lot. This is this is very different to that. I know that they've said in interviews that they wanted they that was a conscious decision. Yeah, grievances is is really heavy. It's it's quite dark. It has a quite an oppressive yeah sound to it. Bleak, bleak is mm-hmm. the word. Yeah, when um, you think about the sort of Nintendo core band that they used to be. Mm-hmm. Because that was a thing for a little while, wasn't it? Nintendo yeah. Core. Yeah. Shit genre name. That was one of the... Yeah, it was one of those... It was kind of a genre name. It was kind of one of those terms. Do you remember New Grave? Oh, fuck off, mate. We're not doing New Grave It's today. one of those words. It's, is it even Crunk a genre? Core. <laughs> Luckily, it's, it's not a thing anymore. But yeah, that is kind of where they come from. This is quite far from that, isn't it? This is a much yeah. more... Um, it's a it's a struggle to review an album like this without pulling all the wanky phrases okay. out the bag. I mean, I was, gonna, I was literally I was about to say wank away. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of my flat. <laughs> um, you can be wanky with your phrasing all you like, Brad. Great, because this record is esoteric. Yeah, is a word I would use. Yeah. Um, it's produced, I think, to absolute perfection. It just sounds amazing. Mm. Um, it was recorded at the ranch in Southampton, did you know that? With the brilliant Lewis Johns, yeah. who also produced the Conjurer record, and who also produced the Muncie Girls record, oh, if you would you know believe that, but... it. Wow. I think he's probably produced a few albums on the list this year. I don't know if it, it, he Should might have even done the primary... golden tea bag? Because, I mean... I mean, we can do the golden tea bag for producer of the year because it's Lewis Johns. Yeah, that's what I mean. We'll just give it to him. Now. All right, fine. With honourable mention to Neil Kennedy, also at the ranch in Southampton. Mm-hmm. Sorry, as you were saying. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's epic. It's esoteric. It's epic. Yeah. Um, 
Do you remember when where there was a bit of a thing on Twitter about this being this should be nominated for a uh, Mercury Music Prize? I do vaguely remember it. Yeah, I think that's quite a good way of summing up how this record yeah. sounds. Does that make sense? Because it is that the kind of music that you would associate. It brings that that kind of music. Mm. into a much heavier yes yeah I would definitely agree mm-hmm. I'm a little I'm actually a little bit sad now that it didn't get nominated for a Mercury I mean Prize. it would have been amazing um, I think Rolo Tomasi are a band that have had a fair amount of kind of I say mainstream mm. you know they've um they've done some big things um The Hollow Hour is my absolute standout yeah song yeah I mean the the guitars in that the kind of it, I don't want to say breakdown again like you I'm not I'm not a guitarist I didn't yeah no both. no I've, I don't think breakdown's such a, a sort of no I it shouldn't I think a be, lot yeah. of people stop thinking about the sort of crab Corey breakdowns yeah. now no I get what you mean when you say breakdown mm-hmm. mm. um, it's just really cool um, Eva Spence the vocalist the, the star of the show I think yeah um, Aftermath I think if you're looking for an example of that yeah um, yeah, oh, so Aftermath is track two and it's all clean vocals, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And I know she's always been a great singer because I've seen Rolo Tomasi live a fair bit. Uh, I never have. And I kind of dropped off the scale a little bit with Rolo Tomasi, but then I saw him at 2000 Trees last year for the first time in, in a little while and they were just stunning. So I always knew that Eva was a great sort of singer mm-hmm. as as well as a sort of ferocious vocalist. Yeah. Um. And it seems that the focus has shifted more onto her vocals as opposed to her brother. Yeah. Uh, is it James? Yeah, who I think is the maybe the creative force. Certain, uh, yeah, certainly. Sort of chief. Yeah, he, sort of he works with the synthesizers yeah. and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see Eva taking much more of a lead on this record. Yeah, and I mean, you wouldn't believe that all these sounds are coming out of the same person. No. It's, it's superhuman and in that respect. And it's scary in places. It's a little bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So, um, so Rolo Tomasi, Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It. Uh, your number six my number six is something from a similar sort of world Um, I think I may have figured you out a little bit uh, with what we were saying earlier this is another anticipated record for 2018 after a stunning debut album it's Black Peaks Mm -hmm. with All That Divides I think anything was fair game to Black Peaks after what they achieved with Statues a record that was so heavy and progressive and yet pushed them into realms like Radio 1. Mm-hmm. It was around the... Se- it was because when Statues came out, I'm pretty sure that it was towards the end of Zane Lowe's time on Radio 1. Mm-hmm. Hearing a sound that obtuse on the radio, songs like Glass Built Castles, I thought the world is literally Black Peaks' oyster. Mm. Um, and the build for... The sort of build of anticipation for this album when Can't Sleep came out and it was... They kind of went full Deftones. Yeah. Um, with those with those sort of... Uh, with the guitars. Joe Gosney is an absolute virtuoso mm-hmm. when it comes to the guitar. A modern virtuoso. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sort of rare... A sort of a rare being, mm. uh, lots of great guitarists in the world, lots of fantastic guitarists, true 
virtuoso genius level guitarists mm-hmm. are uh, sort of once in a blue moon and Joe Gosney from Black Peaks is one of them mm-hmm. I think the rhythm section is is phenomenal on this yeah. I think Will as a vocalist has improved on already being brilliant mm-hmm. um, I think he's just ferocious and equally sort of sonorous in his clean vocals I saw them headline the tent at 2000 Trees this year and seeing the way that Will commanded the tent was incredible. Like I said, they could have literally done anything. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have blamed them if they went a little bit more palatable and I thought they would after I heard Can't Sleep. Mm-hmm. But Can't Sleep is probably the most accessible track on the record. They have gone super progressive mm-hmm. with this album and I love them for it. Um the uh, the second song is it called the midnight sun um yeah i believe that's yeah. the, the 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 title of it second song on the album is like an 8 minute proggy epic yeah um and uh you know it goes into um electric fires yeah um which was one of the singles again so they've 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 been very smart and released all the sort of palatable singles yeah. uh, songs as singles mm-hmm. really and then the rest is you know because you're drawn in by Can't Sleep and because you're drawn in by Electric Fires and Home oh my god Home yeah, uh, you are kind of automatically drawn in by the rest of the album and stuff that may have previously been a little bit alienating to people who may not mm-hmm. necessarily be au fait with progressive music are so drawn in by those singles that they'll listen to the more progressive stuff and it will be on a par, if not better. Yeah. There's a song uh, sort of halfway through the album. What I really like about albums this year is... I don't know if you've noticed this, where a lot of albums usually have about 10 songs now. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the, the case a few years ago where it'd be at least 12 or 13 songs. Yeah. Some going up to like 15, 16. It's, like, oh, it's a bit of a slog. I get it if it's like a double album, like the fucked up one, but I like the fact that a lot of these albums have eight yeah, to ten songs on them mean. now. Yeah. I like that. No, I've, 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 I'm a busy guy, you know? <laughs> uh, so this Black Peaks album has nine songs on it, albeit mm-hmm. some of them are quite long, but yeah. I, I, you know, I don't mind that because it's Black Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the song sort of towards the middle of the album, is it um, Ether? Yeah. It's almost a little bit Pearl Jam. Yeah. Um, which is bizarre to say. Was not expecting Black Peaks to go down that route. No. Uh, maybe more... I've just thought a perfect circle perhaps would probably be a, a better comparison. Sort of slightly more ethereal and left yeah, of centre than Pearl tall Jam. a little bit. Tall well. a little bit, you know. Um, but just hearing them go sort of full clean for a song... Yeah, it's, it feels like the most experimental song on an yeah. album that is experimental yeah. by nature. Um, and uh, that uh, the sort of clarity that is achieved with that song is staggering mm-hmm. um, so yeah I am fully in on Black Peaks being the biggest band in Britain and yet sounding as sort of left of centre and mm-hmm. obtuse as they do on this record it's fucking brilliant mm-hmm. that's my thoughts on All That Divides by Black Peaks my number six record of the year so we're into top five territory now. Yep. So, number five. From here on in, these records are all just absolute. So from here on in, all of these records at some point have been my number one album of the year. Yeah, same for me. I think the the actually, order. 
Black Peaks has been at one point as well. Don't we read in... too much into the order after this point, basically, because they're just five brilliant records, to be honest. I mean, I've kind of decided on the order of my five now. Okay. I'm kind of settled and gone, right, yeah. that is how I want it to be. Mm. But at some point, these were all number one yeah. records. Yeah, same for me. My number five is uh, Dose Your Dreams. I fucked up. Which is weird, because we um, were talking in person about, as you mentioned, about Stephen Hill bringing this to our attention, and you said, have you listened to the Fucked Up record? And I was like, no, you know, it's a double album. This was about two weeks ago, wasn't it? No, Maybe, this was, like, was it two weeks ago? This was at the Nervous Show? No, no, um, I'm thinking of... Oh, did, was it when we went to go and see Culture Abuse? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this was like October time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, yeah. So maybe like, what, just a little over a month ago? Yeah. Um. And I did. I, I, I listened to it a couple of days after that and, and haven't really stopped since. I just absolutely... I really love it. Um. It's not higher because... I suppose I maybe I think when I when I reflect on twenty eighteen and years to come, this may I may think of this as the best album. Perhaps I'm not sure. It's certainly been climbing and climbing, and yeah. kind of stopped at number five. If that makes sense, you know. Right. Okay. Um, it's an incredible album, and it it feels sounds to me like it it shouldn't really work. It's like. It's like all these kind of spinning plates kind of balancing. Do you know what I mean? In terms of all the different sounds yeah. that are going on. They're a, they're a six piece. Um, and I get the impression that it the band's... Um, obviously, this is guesswork. Just kind of sounds a bit like a sort of a power struggle in terms of a band full of creatives bursting with ideas. Yeah. And and it, and they're it, all grabbing for the mic. They're all yeah. grabbing for the megaphone. And it and it just works. It it just works. Um, the kind of um, the disco beats um, and the female vocals at times. You mentioned M eighty three earlier. I just got a little bit reminded of. Um, I listened to M eighty three a little bit. Okay. Kind of French uh, electronic producer. Yeah. Their most recent album had a kind of a disco vibe of some kind of cool female vocals on. It's more of a parallel just that exists in my mind. Mm. I don't think they have they don't really have anything to do with each other sonically. It's just that it's mental to make a connection like that in your head when what you're essentially dealing with is a kind of a hardcore punk record. Mm. You know? Crazy. Uh, again, you covered it pretty thoroughly. Um Talking Pictures is a song that I absolutely love mm-hmm. that's a bit more of a, a kind of straight ahead as as straight ahead punk as this album gets yeah uh, which which isn't very um, Mechanical Bull is one that stands out to me for its mm-hmm. sort of industrial-esque elements yeah um, there's a there's a really uh, delicate sort of shoegazy song around the middle called How to Die Happy mm-hmm. um, the the title track is so bizarre because yeah. it sounds like sort of something from the Manchester scene in the late 80s mm-hmm. so I know this is a common reference point but it sounds like the Stone Roses yeah um, and I just think 
any band who sounds one moment like the Bronx, the next minute like LCD sound system. Yeah, exactly. The next minute like the the fucking psychedelic end of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the tell me what you see? Sort of around the sort of first yeah. quarter of the record, I'd say, yeah. uh, has a sort of quite a psychedelic um uh, chorus that almost reminds me of that real flower power yeah era i think when you said are there any kind of themes that link the records that i've picked this year mm. one thing that i think this shares with with death heaven and a couple of the others is that is that just disregard for genre mm. i don't think they're bothered where people place them you know mm. um which is great it's it's just a really really great record i'm stoked that in such a short amount of time it's landed in your top five Mm -hmm. yeah and i think like you say it being an album that will only go up in your list i think if anyone i feel like it would only go up in mine as well yeah for music i I guess anyone listening to this podcast will will be a music nerd quote unquote cheers um (laughs) i'm happy to be a nerd mate don't worry it's it's not uh it's not a derogatory term at all um (laughs) If you are a bit of a, a music nerd and a big music fan, this album is it's absolutely essential. It scratches every itch that mm-hmm. you can possibly have as a music fan. Yeah. Cool. So, Dose Your Dreams by Fucked Up, your number five. We're going into my top five now. Um, an album you spoke about earlier. It's The Excerpts ah. with Hold On To Your Heart. I had a feeling this would be right up the front end of your... Uh, yeah. I love the excerpts. I have loved the excerpts for a good few years now. Uh, this is my favourite excerpts mm-hmm. album to date because I think it works best as a full body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, again, only 10 tracks long. I'm really liking this whole short albums thing going on. <laughs> I kind of watched the excerpts towards the tail end of their There Is Only You cycle, the headline What The Fest in Southampton. Mm-hmm. I referenced this one when we had Murray on the podcast and I think it was quite... Um, he was he was quite humble and not necessarily humble, but he was quite open minded about my thoughts on it because it was a great show. Mm-hmm. But again, I was watching the excerpts and the joiners, and it was half full. And I kind of looked on stage at a band who, I think, kind of were in the middle of a bit of an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. It was like, where do they go next? I'm really not sure. So they've reinvented themselves. I I can't see a more sort of stark reinvention of a band having happened this year. Yeah. So the following year, having seen them in the tent at 2000 Trees, doing a sort of a last minute set. So they're, they're the kings of 2000 Trees, basically. They played nearly every year. Yeah. Um, I would like to see them headline at some point. Don't think they're quite there yet. Maybe one more album will do it. I can hope. Um, and it was like seeing a totally new band. Mm-hmm. The sort of the bravado... And and like I said about Murray being a tart, the sort of swagger, and a sort of a, a sort of quite a it's almost like a John Hughes movie. It's a yeah. comparison that's been made a lot, you know, with the this sort of Breakfast Club punch in the air moment. Yeah. That well, sort of final frame. Of, I think that started with the band. The band were quite yeah. Brave. It's very cinematic in that respect. We've talked a lot about cinematic records today mm-hmm. where, you know, the, you, you think of Merle and you might think of a film like The Revenant and the way that's sort of cinematically chilling. Or you think about the Pain album being like The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, this, this is almost like a sort of John Hughes route to passage movie. Yeah. Um, 
it is like the glory days of the 80s or it's like Marty McFly and the fucking guitar solo at the end of Back to the Future. It is joyful. It is joyful and it feels refreshing every time you listen to it. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot to be said of a, of a sort of radio-friendly pop rock record to be refreshing yeah. every single time you listen to it. Um, we've already gone through a lot of the songs that I love. Like I said, Drive Me Wild... Uh, featuring Will Gardner from Black Peaks on sax. Incredible stuff. Daydream as well. F- First Kiss Feeling is one of the big ones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's... There's a brilliant... Uh, com- I remember when the album came out and it was reviewed by um, the guys over at That's Not Metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant podcast. Um, go and check it out if you haven't done so already. And I know B's compared it to the sort of countdown to, on New Year's Eve. It's just one of the most joyous feelings you can ever have listening to music. Yeah. Um, I think having an album this far up the list, for what it is, which is a, a simple, catchy pop rock record, mm-hmm. up against albums like the Black Peaks album, like the Conjurer album, like a couple of albums I'm going to talk about in a bit, which are really sort of testing your mind and making mm-hmm. you think really hard about the sonics and the instrumentation. For this to be this high up the list really says a lot about yeah. what the excerpts are capable of as songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the best excerpts record to date, and I'm so glad, much like the Palm Reader album that this is kind of giving them a second wind. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, hold on to your heart by the excerpts. I think we've said all that needs to be said about that record at this yeah. point. Um, your number four. My number four um, is Holy Hell by Architects. Okay. I think um, it's not been out very long. That's really. the reason it's not in my top 20. It's the reason it's not even higher up my list, <laughs> I have. I think. Um, so Architects are a band that's very close to your heart I understand very much so I think if if anyone kind of goes on on my Twitter or anything like that they can sort of see why I won't I won't go too much into it here but they are just a band that I've, I feel very personally attached to um, and um, I think a lot of people do feel that way about them mm. they have a very passionate kind of um, fan base um so this is their eighth album. I think it's easy to figure out. They've got quite a lot of albums. They do. Yeah. Well, we won't go into the kind of story I think it. if I you're think listening to this, you, you know. you've come from a place where you already know the story yeah. of Tom Searle um, and the sort of the path that the band have have had to have mm-hmm. had to follow yeah. uh, over, over the course of the last two and a half years. And I think with albums... And, and further back, obviously. Like this... Um, that are made under these circumstances um, which you wouldn't wish on anyone there's an element of they kind of can't be any different, you know what I mean, it's as pure a a distillation of certain feelings Mm. um, and kind of, I guess, love loss and life are the three things that are kind of the themes that run through this album Um, it's clearly an album that they needed to make mm. makes it very hard to kind of review in a sense yeah. you know um, it is for me as a 
as you said, a huge, huge, huge Architects fan. I I don't think I like it quite as much as All Our Gods at this point. I in terms still of that prefer being a, All Our Gods, an album that is, I think, a monumental album in in the metal mm. landscape. I think it's a bona fide classic. You know, um, not to take anything away from this because this album is fucking brilliant, right? Um, start with Sam Carter because I think he is maybe the standout mm. on this of all their albums this is Sam Carter really I, I hear him really pushing himself in in new areas even for him even for a vocalist who and that's difficult to do when you're mm. I know he wasn't on the first album but that's difficult to do when you're that far in. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah um I I I would definitely I'd say you know I'd say the two sort of they're all brilliant accomplished musicians and having Josh formerly of Silosis mm-hmm. in not in Tom's place but um sort of on guitars yeah. now um in the wake of Tom passing away they they're all brilliant accomplished musicians that really push yeah. themselves to their very edge of their their abilities I think Josh is is he's doing a difficult job isn't he? And he's but he's doing. It an was never going job. to be easy. No, absolutely not. And I, I've actually never listened to Silosis. Have you? I'm not. I say not I never really. Them. I'm not familiar with them. I, I know what they're about. Um, so I can't pinpoint the uh, the Silosisisms, if you will, that that Untold mm. kind of brings to this. Um, no, me neither. I'm not really informed. I, on, I, I feel a little the, bit um, bad that I haven't really. No, I, I got certainly in on will, especially after this. Yeah. Um, but sorry, you were saying he's really. He really need, leaves nothing to be desired. You know, he is he he is incredible. Really, mm. of this album, and you can certainly hear him and hear his yeah his input. What um, what I was saying earlier is, I think the only person who can maybe hold a candle to Sam in terms of the level of their performance on this album is is Dan Searle. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Who um who is an incredible incredible musician. And I believe wrote the album. Yes. So there were dribs and drabs of material written by Tom before mm-hmm. he passed away that are used on this album. This yeah. is kind of considered to be the final album with Tom. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been intentionally quiet on what parts of the album are written by Tom. Yeah. And they will never say which part of the albums are written by Tom. I think there's a huge amount of respect behind that decision. I think it's a really amazing decision. I think so. Yeah. I think if someone said, oh, this bit is written by Tom, then people would... I think it might cloud people's judgment of it. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever, however much you love a band... Like, my favourite band of all time are Ash. Mm-hmm. And I had them on the podcast earlier this year. Yeah, Their album's nowhere near my top 20. Mm-hmm. I like it, it's fine... Even though they're my favorite band, and I people take the piss out of them for them being my favorite band, because they're not the best band of all time, but they're my favorite band. Well, it's absolutely subjective. Isn't but it? And... I'll always be open to. I never want my judgment to be clouded to the point at which I can't look at something and be able to criticize no, it. And I think yeah. that's what would have happened if we'd have been told which songs. Tom performs yeah. in, Tom performs on because 
of the circumstances we wouldn't want to almost you know disrespect mm-hmm. his legacy I mean the choruses on this album Royal Beggars yeah um, which I think is where Sam Carter really there's an almost uh, kind of dare I say like R&B type vocal like a in the verses pop. certainly yeah in the yeah, verses yeah, I mean. yeah. yeah that, that kind of clean cleaner part yeah um, which I would never sort of heard him do before no um, and shock he's fucking brilliant at it mm. um, yeah that's absolutely a standout modern misery the chorus that is a absolutely seismic chorus and, mm. and when they play that at Wembley I am gonna have my top off swinging it around my head um, <laughs> it's not a skin dread show mate <laughs> um death is not defeat the opening track mm-hmm. the chorus on that is one in a million yeah i think it could have been very um it, it could have been very interesting it was interesting for architects because i think if they had made an album which was purely a sort of an album of them processing their grief mm-hmm. then people would have been very understanding of it mm-hmm. because of the circumstances um, and people need to process their grief in whatever way they see fit this is something beyond that mm-hmm. yes it is them processing their grief but it is them moving forward and kind of trying making a conscious decision not to dwell on the past. Yeah. And them going, you know, literally, death is not defeat. Mm-hmm. We will not let this conquer us because we can't. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 have to do this. This is this is less a band doing it because they want to and quite clearly they want to. Mm-hmm. It's a band doing it because they have to. And they have come out of the other side of it as strong as they've ever been. Yeah. I'd say I prefer All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us. It's purely because I've had two more years with that record. Yeah. Ask me two years down the line, I could quite easily see this being on a par with All Our Gods, if mm-hmm. not better. I mean, it's worth saying that it that it is different to All Our Gods and it is doing, um, in a purely musical level, it is doing different things. Mm. Um all Our Gods had far more twists and turns um, straight away from the song Nihilist on, on All Our Gods. It yeah. goes in about four different places that you don't expect it to go in when you when you first hear it. And this album, I think, is, is does that less? That would be my only criticism of this album, is at times yeah. it can be slightly formulaic. Mm-hmm. But I think... When the formula is is as tasty <laughs> yeah, as this, when you can't fuck with a formula yeah, like that, then it's a criticism in that only works in relation to the album that came before. I I think. Yeah. You know, it's not an unvalid criticism, but it it's not it's not something that has yeah bothered me. It is a fucking brilliant record, and I think that yeah yeah. <laughs> Contra are the best extreme band yeah. in Britain. Yeah. Architects are the best heavy band. And to Britain. see them getting as big as they are. You're going to Wembley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've already said that. I'm gutted I'm not going. I'm sure I can find a way. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I can. 
Anyway, because <laughs> I feel like that will be... It feels like every sort of, you know, everything's not kind of London-centric at this point. But Brixton on the All Our Gods cycle felt historic for them. And then yeah. Ali Pali, and now Wembley. Yeah. It's, um... What, what for 2020? Download? You have to, you have to think that they are, um, seriously, you know, in the running for that. They're certainly... I really hope so. Yeah. I okay. think having them as figureheads of, of British kind of metal, mm. is just an, is an amazing thing. You know, the, the as as the generations of festival headliners, as we say goodbye to ACDC and to Black Sabbath, and you know we look at new bands and kind of go, you know, uh, uh, kind of see how much faith we have in these festival headliners. I'm sorry, but Architects are ready for it now. Yeah, I think Architects and Parkway Drive are two bands. Yeah, from similar this sort of similar world. Even if they're on a co-headliner, I, I mean, I'd go. I'd be there, stamping on your head <laughs> again. I'd be there swinging my top around my head <laughs> while I'm stamping on it. <laughs> um, sorry, we went on for a little bit about that one, but fully justified. Mm. Um, yeah, Architects, holy hell, you're number four. Uh, my number four, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna amp up the fun a little bit more now. My number four is Time and Space by Turnstile. Uh. Again, second album, um, delivering kind of on the promise of the first album, mm-hmm. non-stop feeling. They kind of strip back a bit of the crossover element of those chuggy Metallica. Yeah sort of uh, riffs and they've replaced them with things that which are, as much as I love Metallica are even more interesting they've yeah. replaced it with R&B they've replaced it with little disco breaks yeah. uh, sort of more alt-rock leanings mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me a little bit more of the um, so Daniel Fang their drummer who is incredible um, has there been a bad drummer on this on this list today there's nothing bad on this list no today. no it's all <laughs> Wicked. Yep. Um, uh, Daniel Fang also plays in the band Angel Dust. Yeah. Kind of reminded me a little bit more of Angel Dust than it did of the first Turnstile record. Yeah. Um, and um, and that is by no means, you a know, thing. yeah, a bad thing at all. Um, this record is full of energy, which is to be expected again of Turnstile, um, but. While there is energy in the stomp, there is energy in the way they switch things up and keep you on your toes, much like that culture abuse record. Mm -hmm. It kind of keeps you on your toes throughout. It can be fast, it can be mid-paced, whatever kind of pace it is. You are just there, like, you are locked in from the very start of this record. Mm And uh, you know, credit to be that part of that credit is to the um to the to the way it starts with real thing. There's no, you know, there's no sort of ambient intro or no. you know introduction tape. It is full on da 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 da. And I'm like, right, fucking get in there. I wrecked my knee in the pit at Turnstile this year. I was I wasn't able to take part in the Great South Run because of Turnstile. I mean, fuck you, Turnstile. I was really excited to do that, but you know, it was worth it because, <laughs> honestly, I think this uh, this is in my top five just because I've never felt so much of a rush 
mm-hmm. from a hardcore record in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, in the certainly, I I would say in the last five years, I mean, Code Orange Forever. I don't think is a hardcore record. It comes from the hardcore scene. Yeah. But it transcends it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this record also transcends it. Mm-hmm. Although I think it's still got more roots in the hardcore scene than the Code Orange album does. Yeah, I agree. And as a result, is the better hardcore album of the mm-hmm. two. You know, I don't. I'm I'm a little bit stuck on how to review this one in terms of just saying it's fucking great. Yeah. I love what they do with Moon, where it's you know, uh, Freaky Franz, their bassist, just doing the just doing the vocals. Yeah. Um, I think that was incredible. I don't want to be blind. Uh, sort of taking on more of that nineties alt rock thing that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of dirgier, grungier. Um, there's a song called uh, "Can't Get Away." sort of around the midpoint of the mm-hmm. album and there's just one bit in the middle um where you just hear one singular whoo yeah yeah i love that <laughs> it's for my money the musical moment of, yeah. t- of 2018 because you think it's going to come again no it's just that one and they excel at moments like that yeah they? are kind of peppered throughout the album this album is such a rush mm-hmm. just talking about it kind of fills me with adrenaline yeah and um I think for Turnstile uh, to sort of be so prominent with that scene and kind of flip it on its head yeah. earns them their place in my top five of the year. Mm-hmm. This is a fucking incredible record by a fucking incredible band. Agreed. So that's Turnstile, Time and Space. Uh, your number, we're in top three now. Yeah. Number three is... Um... All That Divides by Black Peaks. I was wondering when this was going to come along because yep. I knew this was on your list um, and you were being quite tight-lipped I mean, yeah, about was. about the Black Peaks album um, earlier. So the debut was my favourite album of, of the year it came out. Was it 2016? Yeah. Wow, it was in my top ten. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't know that I've seen a band arrive on on the scene in quotation marks, as fully formed as Black Peaks. Do you do you kind of remember when you first heard of them? Did they they just seem to kind of turn up with I think maybe Crooks or one of those early singles. Uh, the first song I heard from them was and, Glass Built Castles. Okay. Um I think maybe they had one or two. Mm. Oh, that Glass well, Built Castles be, was certainly the big one from the album. They used to be called Shrine. Ah, that was it, yeah. yeah. Um the first time I ever saw Black Peaks was opening for Deftones at Wembley Arena on the first album. Um, and they looked like they'd been doing it for, for years. You know? Mm. They just... So so my point being is that, is that statues were, for a debut album were so fully formed and it is a bit of a classic. It was a classic in my eyes. Following it up was never, ever going to be an easy thing I think no or they've made it look easy but. Where, where I was saying that kind of the world was their oyster and it was fair game to them mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily saying that it was going to be a breeze no there was still huge anticipation around whatever yeah. they were going to do and I think from my perspective loving um, statues as much as I did you just fart no I squeaked my shoes <laughs> I squeaked <laughs> no more mince pies for you <laughs> 
loving their first album as much as I did, I I was very a, a bit nervous about this one. Were they going to go more radio friendly? What was going to happen? Um, and you're right, they were. They've gone more kind of progressive. They've gone. They've gone um, more expansive, um, as you said with Ether. I'm wanging on a bit here, just because. No, no, it's okay. I really love this album. Um, I haven't got a huge amount more to say. That than you said, to be honest. Um, they are a band of superhumans. From Will Gardner, uh, to Joe Gosney, all the others. Uh, Liam Liam Curley is that the drummer? Yes. Um. Just crazy. It's it's just crazy. Mm. Do you think maybe they might have been built in a in a lab or something? I think so. I think I, I don't think they're they're human. No, no, maybe not. Even even if they're not, they're just amazing. And yet, much like we were saying about some of these math rocky records, while they are performing with superhuman ability, there is something that still kind of keeps it grounded and keeps it. Yeah, yeah, it keeps it keeps it human. Yeah, and and really accessible, mm. really really accessible for an album that that goes to as many places as it does. Um, it's really accessible. I can't see anyone being kind of alienated by any of the stuff they're doing, which is a very kind of difficult balancing act. Yeah, to pull off. Um, yeah, I think Home is it was a contender for my my song of the year mm. it, it's colossal I just I'm just thinking about it now like they are one of those bands I mean it's their second album you know it's and much like the Conjurer thing being the it debut is. yeah so I, know, I know I keep doing that but um, no 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 <laughs> this is this is what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode about mm-hmm. a lot of these bands are not heritage bands at this no. point this we're not talking about you know, obviously, architects were on their eighth album. That's fair enough, and and you know, fucked up is like their fifth album, I mm-hmm. think. You know, but a lot of these bands are young bands on their debut or second album, and that is incredible. And I mean, exciting. the bands that you'd lump Black Peaks in with are Mastodon and and Dillinger Escape Plan mm. bands that um that well Dillinger obviously Tool no longer around Tool as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's when you think about that. It's it's mental. We're putting them in the same league mm-hmm. as Tool. And I think I, I've got in my notes, um, they remind me a little bit of Biffy Clyro in the way that they seem to, like you said, them getting played on Radio 1 and stuff, despite the fact that they've got quite... Obviously, they're a lot heavier mm-hmm. than Biffy Clyro have ever been. You know, but, but Biffy have some weird stuff going on. And yeah, they're really not for everyone. But I can see them getting on on a on a kind of similar platform mm. where you've got this real sort of crazy music and. I'd and love to see platform. that. Yeah, I th- I think we Black might. Peaks to headline Reading. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we see Black Peaks headlining somewhere like the Pit at Reading this year. Well, if that two thousand three set was anything to go by, I mean that that was ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. And I mean that's another thing. It's one thing to have records that are, that sound, so kind of perfect, mm. but to be able to replicate that live to to such a high standard is and note perfect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One of the sort of outstanding live bands for me this year mm-hmm. for certain. Definitely. Um. So Black Peaks, 
All That Divides made it into your top three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, an album that we've already talked about for my number three, um, it was so hard trying to hold back what I had to say about Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It by Rolo Tomasi. Um, like I said, I think they're a band I've I've always kind of... I've, I've liked and not necessarily loved. and sort of, It's been more of a respect thing. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of marvelled at how... Um, sort of almost schizophrenic and um, and uh, off kilter it can be, mm-hmm. and how it can just constantly catch you off guard, no matter how prepared you are. They'll throw you something that will completely knock you for six. Mm-hmm. Um, this is their best album to date. I think I already said that. Um, and the first time I was actually really excited in the lead up to a Rolo record. Mm-hmm when you heard the singles when you heard Aftermath it was like you know your first time you listened to that song it's like you could, you could never have expected Rolo at that at the point that they were on grievances to make music that sort of melodic and bright and, and almost stratospheric in sound um, but then the following so that that's kind of like the second song after a, a three minute introduction track mm-hmm. which is maybe my only gripe with this record is I didn't think that intro needed to be three minutes long is my only only yeah. gripe with this fucking incredible record. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the following song after Aftermath is Rituals, mm-hmm. which is one of it makes you feel like you're in a horror film, uh, and you're like the victim of a psychopathic serial killer, <laughs> and you're slowly being tortured. So there is the, but the in a good way. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, there, there's the pure horror and sort of physical torment of being tortured, mm-hmm. but there's the psychological torment of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost goes a little bit horror movie with the synths. Yeah. There's those little sort of just pangs of like, yeah. uh, you know, eerie, suspenseful... It's a little si- bit John ki- Carpenter, a little bit. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. A little bit John Carpenter. Um and you know there's kind of a sort of a, a balancing act throughout the whole record you mentioned the hollow hour which kind of meets in the middle of those two songs mm-hmm. i would say yeah um and the that that's your favorite moment on the record my favorite moment on the record is a flood of light mm-hmm. um this is going to be bold and i think if there are any like hardcore rolo fans listening to this I might get called out for it. A Flood of Light is the best Rolo Tomasi song that's ever been written, Mm. in my opinion. And it reaches levels of epic. Epic. I feel like the... um, Oh, what's that? He saved money on his car insurance, (laughs) and now he feels epic. Um, It's all about the build again. Mm. And building to that... um, that life affirming mm-hmm. sort of crescendo um i think i sort of very nearly i felt my sort of my breath catching in my throat the first time i heard that um but in like all the right ways yeah if you if you'd have said to me last year Rolo Tomasi are going to make one of your favourite albums of next year mm-hmm. I was excited for that Rolo record but I was like oh okay we'll see yeah I have a whole new level of love for Rolo Tomasi after this record 
I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people weren't really... They kind of saw Rolo Tomasi for the more sort of Nintendo Corey type stuff of, of cosmology yeah. and I Love Turbulence. If you were on the fence, this record would, would slap you straight off the fence It would into s- the garden. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, You'd end up with a garden gnome up your ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gravel embedded in your face. <laughs> is this coming from any... Are you? Is this sort of a... <laughs> Where's this coming from? <laughs> you got gravel embedded in your face. You're gonna look like that guy from Die Another Day yeah. with the diamonds <laughs> in his face. I mean, if you drove that Jaguar, then it'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be all right with gravel on my face. <laughs> um, Rolo Tomasi, yeah. time will die and love will bury it. Um, Epic is a great word. You know, if someone said one word review of this album, it yeah. was epic. Like, epic. Colossal. Yeah. Um, s- stunning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Smashing. <Yeah. laughs> um, so, runner-up. It's runner-up time. It's runner-up time. My number two, probably my most listened to whole album of the year, I think. Um, Turnstile, of Time and Space. I listened to this album just so much this year. Mm. Um, it, unlike a few of the records, we've said a few times on, on this episode that you have to set aside time, you know, for some of these albums. Mm. Not the case with this one. You can... No, it's very instantaneous. Yeah. And there's um, brevity to it yeah, as well. Yeah, and you can just whack it on <laughs> on, the, on the way to work, on the way home from work, on the various journeys... That you might be doing, yeah, um, <laughs> it make you feel like you could take down a bus. Yeah, and it it really does just give you such a a, a boost. Um, you're right. It, it there is less like thrash sort of start those riffs, you know. Yeah. Um, than non-stop feeling, which I think was the album before. Um, it's much more kind of funk laden and and discovery. Um. I did. I saw some reviews that said that it it was kind of unfocused and a little bit kind of all over the place. In I think I that misses that's... the point. I think that's kind of the point of it. I think it's supposed to be a little bit yeah. scrappy in the way it it chucks those those interludes. Mm. You know, um, it almost kind of has a slightly um, and I don't mean this insensitively a sort of, sort of ADHD tendency to it, doesn't it? Yeah, which I guess is the heart is the kind of hardcore energy. Yeah, um, I would hate it if it was just sort of had a one track mind. Yeah, I mean, I I should I should probably say, and I might get some hate for this. I think straight up hardcore, bare bones hardcore, it doesn't always do a lot for me. On what Live, sort of maybe? level? Kind of just like an emotional level you can kind of listen to it and just go yeah this is great yeah it sort of washes over me yeah i I don't find a lot to to grab on to with it no it's still great fun i i hate Um, i I, like i i feel the same about really sort of knuckle-headed hardcore yeah yeah i think there are bands who are outstanding within hardcore these days of the last 10 years like can spats like every Mm -hmm. time i die and you know the sort of more you know the more sort of transcendental acts as well, mm-hmm. like Code Orange, um, but I feel like they all came from a scene where there is a lot of subpar material coming out of. It's mm-hmm. very saturated as well. Yeah, yeah um, it definitely is. 
it's the other elements that we've spoken about at length that, that really make this record mm. stand out. Um, it's real nostalgic, I think. If if you love the 90s, you'll love this. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it's also, it's really cool. You know, they've got a lot of that kind of, that, that skate sort of, that kind of skate culture that, that is yeah. very... Well, they played at, at the they played at Flognor, which is Camp, yes, yeah, yeah, the Odd Future Festival. Mm. Kind of has that. Um, I can see them translating to that. Well, yeah, to, to that crowd, to certainly on even to, on an aesthetic level, to yeah. dickheads in bucket hats. <laughs> no, um, but I think there is a coolness to them, you know. You, mm. can't, you can't fake coolness. That just makes you, you look can't. even more uncool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so glad this is so high up on your list that it's both in both of our top fives. Mm. My number two album. Um, you couldn't fit it in your list. I had to. Um, when it comes to growth, a common topic we've spoken about today, mm-hmm. from first album to second, I don't think anyone has grown. And although I've got one more album to talk about today, after this one, I don't think anyone has grown uh, to the outstanding effect that Nervous has Mm. with their second album, which is brilliantly called Everything Dies. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say growth, I mean that M. Foster has grown confident as a lyricist, Mm -hmm. much more confident than she's ever been. As a musician, I think the guitar lines on this, on things like Six Sad World and and The Way Back, so so quietly intelligent. Yeah. Similar to what I was saying about Tusky right at the start of the last yes, episode. Yes, yeah. It's it's deceptively intricate. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that first Nervous record. I think it mm-hmm. just about made my top 10 list of 2016. Mm-hmm. And I said at the time, I think I said, there's a lot of potential here. They have met that potential and exceeded it mm-hmm. far beyond anything I could have ever hoped for them to do. Um, there is... M's a very funny person. As as we saw when we went to go and see him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that she's brought a little bit of humour into this. Mm-hmm. You know, the chorus on the way back, if I could learn to just accept myself, then fuck everybody else. <laughs> they could try and fucking kill me. I love that. Um, the sort of, the newfound optimism of Nervous. Because Permanent Rainbow, without going too far into the circumstances, I think originally no one was really ever meant to hear no, Permanent yeah. Rainbow. Um and just it was pretty dark time for M. Mm-hmm. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that. I'm sure she won't. She's been sort of quite public about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this album is almost like a sort of a redemption album, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's finding something to live for again. Mm. And having sort of... There is... a. There there are serious moments on the album. Um, the song Medicine, mm-hmm. I think, is an outstanding progression for them because it goes into those sort of... Um, those 
eerie synths throughout the verses and then has really jarring distorted guitars on the on the chorus neither of which we've ever really heard from them before no. um and that that aside that's probably the most serious song on the record mm-hmm. and probably the most sort of somber um and the closest you could perhaps thematically draw to a comparison to permanent rainbow with mm-hmm. then you've got a song like nobody loses all the time mm-hmm. which is glorious I remember listening to that song for the very first time and I was grinning ear to ear. Mm-hmm. I think I was in a pretty bad place at the time when I first heard that song as well. And it is true, nobody loses all the time. And it teaches people a great lesson about perseverance and about getting a second chance at life. And I think that's a beautiful thing to be admired in 2018. Mm-hmm. I went very serious there, didn't I? Yeah. I don't think Em would really appreciate that. It's <laughs> it's Bants. Um, <laughs> um, this record is just joyous. It is, yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, where um, the first album felt very much like an album which served as personal catharsis for Em, mm-hmm. uh, this feels like an all-rounder for all of the musicians in Nervous, mm-hmm. especially Jack Kenny, their drummer. And and Paul, their their keyboardist. I know Cole, their bassist, has since left the band. Also, isn't it fucking brilliant that Lucinda from Kamikaze yeah. Girls is now the bassist of Nervous? Yeah. Fucking love that. It's sort of joyous, life-affirming stuff. It really is, yeah. And after seeing them do the songs live, because when I heard this record for the first time and I kind of reviewed it, I, I was like, this is the start of something brilliant for Nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I saw them play the songs live and I was like, no, that... Yeah, this this is the this is the brilliant thing. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wait till the next record no. for Nervous to be brilliant. They are brilliant now. Mm-hmm. Now is their time, and they are also speaking for a community which often, I think, struggles to find its voice. Yeah, among all the noise, and I think uh, they they are resonating with so. Yeah, many people, and going to a to a nervous gig or even their set of two thousand trees again. That tent was packed, and mm-hmm. the atmosphere at their shows is just amazing. It it is so joyous. Whoever you are, you you're part of a community at mm-hmm. a nervous show, yeah. or you're part of a community when you listen to a nervous album, mm-hmm. and that's something where going into twenty eighteen we really needed to restore. Mm-hmm. That's a feeling we needed to get back. And you get that on Everything Dies by Nervous. Mm-hmm. That felt like the very sort of... That felt like a very fitting conclusion. Yeah. I felt like I was like doing the book at bedtime on CBeebies. <laughs> felt like Which I ended... you would be great at. Really? I yeah, I think so. Oh, I don't know. You have a, a nice man. You just have to watch your language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, you little shits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not. Um, so... After a countdown of 20 albums, mm-hmm. we've landed at your number one. Yeah. Um, this won't surprise anyone that knows me or has been, has been seeing my social media. Uh, my number one is Nero My God by Foxing. Mm. I had never listened to Foxing, really. Um, only, in, only in passing I'd heard them. Um, I'm not really sure what made me listen to this album. I think maybe it just popped up on my Spotify. 
it seems like it's an album that got a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. Um. Uh. A sort of love through word of mouth. Yeah, and and I have heard heard people talking about it. Um. And since the first listen, it's just, it um, it it brought me to tears actually the first time I heard it, which is not something mm. that happens often with music. I mean, film. I I I cry all the time at films. Music, um, very rarely, especially on record, you know. Yeah. Um, but it did. It it just really landed with me. Um, it's a little bit more accessible than the last albums, having gone back and checked those out, for for research purposes. Do you think it's more accessible? I think so. Okay. Uh, accessible maybe is a bad word because they they've never exactly been abrasive or anything. They're they're very different. Mm-hmm. Albums, yeah, they're all they're different to each other. Oh yeah. yeah, they're all different from one another. But I think it's difficult. In There's its... more pop in this record, oh, I think. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think um, that that will resonate with a lot of people mm. that maybe couldn't get into them before. Um, again, it's an album that I, by all sort of rights, I shouldn't really like because it it's a little bit nice and a little bit twee in places right I think which isn't something I um always gravitate towards um it's quite hard to to talk about on on a musical level what I love about this record because it it did just land with me on such a kind of personal Mm. level I mean um you've got these real beautiful um there's a song called Five Cups Five Cups is my favourite song on the mm-hmm. record. I can totally understand that. Um, you know, uh, I want to drown with my eyes closed, I think, is the refrain. Which is just a, uh, the imagery mm. that that conjures up, you know? Um, which is what a lot of the kind of lyrics do. There's a, that, I mean, there's a lot on this record I did where I didn't really have a clue what he's talking about. Right. You know? Um, it, it it goes back to that kind of... There's a little bit of psychedelic... Mm. Ness on on this album, um, yeah, it's doing. A, how do you feel? I'm interested how you feel about about this. So record. this is really interesting because um, when I saw this on your list, mm-hmm. so I had the unpopular opinion this year that I was not at all fussed by this record. I don't think it's a really divisive record. As as I, I do yeah. think there's quite a lot of people that, that really aren't bothered about it. I when I saw how instantly people said this is fucking brilliant mm. as soon as it came out and I kind of listened to it and I went eh, I'm not really getting it I'm I'm not anti pop music especially mm. not of this kind the more sort of uh, you know intelligent could you call it mathy in places I think if you're gonna if you're gonna lump it in with bands, you're gonna put it in with kind of Manchester Orchestra. Yes, yeah. That that kind of indie leaning emo mm. sort of. Yes, because I I reviewed their last record, uh, Dealer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I thought it was completely fine for what it was. Yeah. But what it was was happening everywhere at that point. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of got a little bit lost in. It's the... my least favorite of their albums. Yeah. Um, I think that's the general consensus. Mm-hmm. I think people prefer the Albatross. Mm-hmm. I think I probably do as well. Um, but 
not by that. I I was I wouldn't call myself a fan mm-hmm. of boxing. Um, but when I saw you put it in this list, I was like, okay, we're gonna have to talk about this. <laughs> I at that point I'd only really listened to it t- two three times, and I was trying really hard to see what people were getting, but I was kind of getting lost between sort of the third track is Game Shark, is it? Mm-hmm. So no, not even then. I think the first two songs. Uh, so uh, Grand Paradise and Slapstick yeah. and then I kind of tuned out and then my attention kind of got picked back up again for Five Cups mm-hmm. which is sort of halfway through the record yeah around about it's quite a long record isn't it it is yeah Um, and then there's another song I think it's called Trapped in Dillard's yes Um, and then I was lost for the rest of the album mm-hmm. that kept happening and I was like I'm just not getting this then I saw you put it in your list. Sorry, I will get around to what I'm saying. <laughs> then you put it in your list, and I was like, right, I'm actually going to sit down. I'm actually going to listen, give it time, give it a listen on some good headphones, um, and see what I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Now I get it. Yeah. This album is superb. Yeah. it It's just a really kind of tightly... Um, I sort of used the... It, it sounds kind of like a bad thing, but it's been manu- manufactured. Like it's been, it's very. It is kind of manufactured, but in a to perfection. It's not overcooked. Yeah. You know, it's been cooked. Yeah. Just the right amount. Yeah. You know, to use that metaphor. This is what I would like bands like Imagine Dragons to sound like. Mm-hmm. When you think about. The, the you know the guitar bands on the radio and I'm not talking about the occasional time you hear a Black Peak song on the radio or the mm-hmm. time you hear the excerpts on the radio or whatever when you think about the sort of guitar bands the that, 1975 and the, the 1975 and... exactly although I've not really listened to that new album so I don't, have you listened it's to it? it's crap okay fine um, uh, so that is what I'd like that this album is what I'd like those bands to sound like yeah yeah, I think I think there is a line to be drawn between this and those bands in terms of the kind of the soundscape. Mm. Um, the vocals, they do get a little bit harsh at a couple of points throughout the album. And I say harsh in relation to to Foxing's music, you know, mm. um, which I think would, would maybe stop some people. Um, it's just a really ambitious record. You know, there's there's brass and strings in there. Yeah. Used really, really nicely. Well, I almost thought that Five Cups sounded a little bit like it should be on the second Bon Iver record. Mm-hmm. With the horns and, yeah. you know, those sort of Civil War horns almost. Yeah. Um, you know what you were saying earlier about an epic? This is an epic, but in different ways, because it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it is, a, like a lot of the albums on this list... Uh, a slow burn yeah it is absolutely a grow even loving it from the first play as much as I did it has grown and grown and grown on me to the point at which to the point where it's my number one album of the year and I I have I I I don't like using hyperbole a lot when I when I talk about music um I do (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it I I just kind of I try to stray from it um 
but I have absolutely no qualms saying that this is a masterpiece and a an absolute masterpiece. Um, I really hope that after a few more listens, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, because um, I'm I'm sold now on this. Mm-hmm. I think this is fucking brilliant, and I think if if I'd listened to it maybe three or four more times, it could probably butt out Slow Crush and make it into my mm-hmm. top twenty. Yeah, I um, think if there's one criticism I'll hear, it's that well, my favorite song on it is Grand Paradise, which is the first song. I and I could yeah. see people saying that it that it peaks. Is it a really, little? Really, you think really it's early, a little but, bit top heavy? Um, well, I don't because I think it's all right. Perfect. Okay, but a lot of people. Think but that is something where if someone said, "Oh, well, the first, the best song is right at the start," it's a little bit of a curse. Mm-hmm. Where the first song is so good, it yeah. raises the bar so high that. Mm-hmm. You know, but, your um, I think that was maybe my problem as well because I really like Grand Paradise. It really hooks you in, doesn't mm, it? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, from those sort of processed drum beats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this which is, is another thing that might put someone off. I mean, this this is gonna be, I think, marmite for, especially I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast. Maybe yeah. That, I mean, yet again, I Foxing are they? They're not. I don't think they're bothered about genre. Yeah. You know, they're quite happy to just. I think sit on their own I like the way you've unveiled that sort of running theme over time it's something that became clear as I was kind of writing up my notes mm. um, and it clearly it's something that appeals to me a lot as a music listener yeah you know pulling influence from lots of different things that I like combining them and saying you know you either like it or you don't and I don't think bands care that much about their no. genre labels to be honest and that appeals to me that's true punk that is punk. Um, so, Nearer My God by Foxing. The best album of the year. According to Brad Thorne. Yes, but also the best album of the year. Okay. <laughs> so, my number one. Um, now, one thing I've noticed this year, and over the last couple of years, my taste in music has become a lot more progressive than it used to be. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about how I've really grown to love a lot of post-metal and progressive music, mm-hmm. uh, more soundscapey textures, going more into the extreme territories and mm-hmm. sort of those boundary-pushing albums. Um, my album of the year kind of contradicts all of that. Um, now, my now I see a similar thing, thing happening as what happened last year. So to recap, my number one album of 2017 was After the Party by The Menzingers. Mm -hmm. And my number two was Forever by Code Orange. It was basically a knife fight between those albums, but I went with the album that stuck with me on a personal level, Mm -hmm. on a sort of emotional level. Yeah. And sort of... I mean, that is always going to trump everything, right? Um, So my number one album of the year, I've fallen into the trap again where it's perhaps not the most artistically accomplished album of the year. Uh, It's not, you know, grand and conceptual like the Fucked Up record or the Peen record we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, hugely progressive and epic like Black Pigs or Rolo Tomasi. Um, You know, it's not bastard heavy and almost scarily exciting like the Conjurer or Palm Reader records are. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is testament to my love for simple and effective rock mm-hmm. rock and roll yeah um my number one album of 2018 is master volume by the dirty nail 
Which even saying it now, you can see we've both just developed a big shit eating grin yeah. across our faces. Yeah. Cause I know that in your head right now, and I'm not trying to like be like fucking Darren Brown or anything, but I know in your head right now, you've got that feedback that opens the album in yeah, your head. It, yeah. Going into that's what heaven feels like. You can't even hear someone saying the dirty nil without that smile kind of appearing. And I know that sounds weird because it was nowhere on my list. I was but... quite surprised when, when you sent it through mm. and it wasn't even in the list. Yeah. I, I kind of expected it not to be number one. I think what it comes down to um, is, you know, you, you do love your your big, your big rock and roll, as you said. Mm. And I, I think I've I noticed that a lot really. this year. Where my tastes have expanded, I've also realised how much I love Bon Jovi and yeah. how much I love Cheap Trick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always loved Motley Crue and ACDC. Yeah. And I know, obviously, a big influence for the Dead to is The Replacements, who I discovered for the first time last year, who are great. Mm-hmm. I need to go in on them more, to be honest. But especially going back to Cheap Trick, I've often said, I think on this very podcast, that the Dirty Nil are the sort of... Uh, modern, uh, the sort of modern punk equivalent of Cheap Trick, mm-hmm. where the, um, you know the Sonic Highways documentary. Yeah. Um, the episode in Chicago talks a lot about Cheap Trick, yeah. and a brilliant musician called Jason Narducci says it has the same pop sensibilities, but Cheap Trick is a little bit more flick of the nose. Mm-hmm. That's how I see the Dirty Nil. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is so simple, so catchy pop songs, mm-hmm. but with that flick of the nose attitude, with that sort of, that that James Dean 1950s yeah. badassery. Or, you know, like we were talking about with the excerpts earlier, you know, seeing... Um, uh, what's Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club just being the badass that he is yeah. you know it kind of is evocative of those those sort of larger than life characters that and you... I think just because it is simple and more straight ahead there is still you know they still have to be written and you know there's no less craft no absolutely and making not it, and making it such high quality and, and that's I think something which has kind of been slightly glossed over with this album is, mm-hmm. is you know I'm saying it's, it's not perhaps the most artistically accomplished that's not to say it's not artistically mm-hmm. accomplished um, you know especially with the it's rhythms it's not boundary pushing yeah. I think is the difference yeah yeah exactly um, some of the things that they do collectively as a band you know, when when you get these sort of very catchy songs, the drummer could be doing one thing, the guitarist could be doing another, and the bassist could be doing something totally different. Mm-hmm. But they all do these things together. I think the prime example of that is the chorus on Always High. Um, you know, the... Ain't it a bitch mm-hmm. going home? Yeah, that bit. I'm not a singer. Um, <laughs> but you notice that... You, the guitar is following the vocals and the bass is following the guitar and the vocals and the drums are following the bass and the guitar and the vocals mm-hmm. and they are all doing the same thing at the same time and it's all locking in mm-hmm. and that sounds like it would be a sort of very simple thing to do it's really not you know if you've played in a band before you know it's really not easy to lock up with someone else and and do something sort of with laser precision mm-hmm. exactly the same as one of your bandmates. It's pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they do it live kind of confirmed the fact that, okay, this is not just a bit of studio trickery. Yeah. Um, 
this album fills me with so much life affirming buzz. Yeah. I was listening to this, I was like, is this a. So, I know I said when the Dirty Nil were on here, and I was so happy when they came back on because they were fantastic guests. They kind of understood what Bitch and Brew was from yeah. the get-go. Re- when I interviewed them at 2003s, I was like, 15 minutes is not nearly enough time I need with this band. I need them on for a full episode, and then they happened to announce to join us the following week, and I was like, fucking yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where was I going with this? <laughs> it fills you with so much joy. Yes. And I can attest to that, having seen you in the crowds at one of their shows yeah Um, sorry I got carried away with this so much Um, what I was saying was I I was kind of uh, I I said to the band at the time it's my album of the year and I wouldn't have usually given that away like Mm -hmm. that I was certain it was but then as it came to compiling this list and I'm I'm like man is this really my album of the year do I prefer that Rolo Tomasi record because it is so technically astonishing Mm -hmm. Do I prefer that nervous record because it's the best progression of the year? Mm-hmm. No, no, I, like I don't. And stop doubting yourself. You love this record because it is dumb and fun and catchy and fills you with so much joy, like that Menzingers record mm-hmm. did this year. I am in love with this album and I'm in love with how badass it is. Mm-hmm. And the sort of the dark sense of humour, the sort of recurring uh, lyrical references to death mm-hmm. on songs like Bathed in Light, you know, Hello Jesus, Hello Elvis, um, Hello Grandma, You're Looking Good, I Knew You Would, uh, I Don't Want That Phone Call, which is kind of a, a sort of uh, a very uh, nihilistic song about a friend nearly dying mm-hmm. and not you being like, hey, I'm worried about you, I don't want to lose you. It's being, hey, you know, you you're you could die and I don't want to deal with that shit, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like it's almost a little bit selfish in that respect, but it's fucking great. Yeah. Um I could go on all day about this record, but just to sort of summarize it, I just think and you know, you could call hair metal corny and cheesy and you could hate it and you could hate kind of what it stood for at the time. I don't think you could ever deny how catchy mm-hmm those songs were you could I guarantee you could say you don't like Bon Jovi Living on a Prayer comes on at the Christmas party you're going nuts for it I guarantee you it um, you give love a bad name yeah, yeah. You, you, you say you don't like Bon Jovi you'll suddenly know all the lyrics to you give love a bad name <laughs> yeah. you'll remember how many songs you love by ACDC it is stripping rock and roll back to its bare bones giving it that sort of piss and vinegar attitude of punk rock and the catchiness of, you know, 60s pop music and sort of 70s power pop Mm -hmm. and tying it up in a big bow, covering it in whiskey, setting it on fire and then smashing it to bits with your guitar. Yeah, absolutely. And that is Master Volume by The Dirty Nil and that is why it's my number one album of 2018. Awesome. Wow, so awesome. there we go. So your number one album, Foxing, Nearer My God. Mm-hmm. My number one album, Master Volume by The Dirty Nil. We already said that. that is. That's great. Yeah. Wonderful. High five. <laughs> Woo! Right. We're going to do this in the next five minutes. Okay. So let's go through this super quick. So, um, EP of the year. 
couple of honourable mentions first? Um, yes, I found this quite difficult. Um, I don't think it's been an, an amazing year for EPs, personally. No, not um, to the level it was last year. No. Because um, everyone brought out brilliant albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if the Code Orange EP counts, that it was does. two new songs. It does count. That was brilliant, and confirmation that that album wasn't just a flash in a pan, you know. They're going to keep on... They're going to keep on doing that. Mm. Um, the Arcane Roots EP as well. A wonderful farewell I think it's a real beautiful Roots. way to bow out. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Should I do my EP of the year? Do you want to do some honourable mentions? or? Uh, no, you do your EP of the year. My then I'll go EP mine. of the year. Um, while I was struggling to pick one, it was kind of staring me in the face all along, so I've listened to it a lot, um, is Moral Terror by Rough Hands. Oh, fuck yes. Yeah. That's great. I think maybe I'm in my so... head I kind of thought it was an album. Mm. And um, It does... It's quite... It feels like an album. It's, you know, it's got it that covers a lot of It covers yeah, an album-sized amount of ground yeah. in an EP. Um, so very, very quickly, they're a real hard band to sum up for us from talking about them. You're really just going to have to go mm. and listen to them. They, they combine a lot of what we've talked about all the way through this podcast, you know, those heavier bands. Mm. They cover a lot of ground. So if you like the real, real heavy music... Mm. You're surely going to find something to grab onto with Rough Hands. They're a real unique band. They're super cool as well. I saw them open for uh, Employed to Serve. Oh, Not wow. open, sorry. They were main support for Employed to Serve. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, Rough Hands and Lynched, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Bastard. Um, yeah, that's a, that was a pretty good night. Um, intense, punishing, absolutely unforgiving. Go listen to it. Cool. Yeah, that's in my list mm-hmm. of honourable mentions. I think it's a great, great, great EP that covers so much ground. Yeah. And on the surface, it is a hardcore EP. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes into so many other places. It really does. Yeah. Um, uh, Redwood, Lay Your Love Down, another mm-hmm. failure by Design Records release. This lovely, serene, cinematic, uh, poppy, post-rock kind mm-hmm. of thing. Almost in a... Uh, we premiered the track by sibling on a couple of episodes ago uh on bitch and brew number 31 um and i'd say it's in a similar sort of vein very bright but very cinematic and quite considered and very well thought out and delicate and beautiful um then i want to shout out um i want to shout out that final arcane roots ep very drawn in by the Dream State EP. I know you're not a massive fan of no. it, but I think it's uh, I think it's gonna be huge. To be they honest, I, I think Dream big, State think. are gonna absolutely smash it on a debut. Yeah. I've definitely got my tabs open on them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my EP of the year is something I heard a week ago, and went holy shit. Where have this band been for 2018? I don't know how long it's been out. I literally know nothing about this band apart from the fact that they recently opened for Milk Teeth on their mini tour. Mm-hmm. They're called Poltergeist. Uh. Uh, and the EP is called Hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. It is four songs long, seven minutes. I don't think any of the songs... Uh, well, a couple of... I think one of the songs passes the two-minute mark. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could write down for it is that it sounds like Dillinger Escape Plan at their most accessible... And I'm not meaning that in a bad way. I mean, like, Milk Lizard Dillinger yeah. and, like, you know, the intro to, to um, Prancer. Mm-hmm. Um, having a bar fight with Every Time I Die 
while Palm Reader are standing in the corner and laughing at them fighting and throwing peanuts and beer bottles at them. Jesus, I know what I'm listening to on the train home. It's fucking brilliant. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I can give it any better explanation than that, but it's over super quickly, it's so visceral and in your face, and then it ends uh, in sort of a very off-kilter way with a sort of one-and-a-half-minute rumbly bass line with some background screamed vocals uh almost as if it's been recorded in a very it's been recorded in like a massive echo chamber or something and then that's the end of the ep and you're like what the fuck just happened that's hemorrhage by poltergeist and i want to know more about this band i want to know what's coming next but in one week it's become my ep of 2018 fucking excellent um gig Gig of 2018. There were a lot of contenders in this category. There were. Um, Quite a funny one for me, because for three months, or nearly three months of this year, I didn't go to any gigs. Mm, Okay. Um, You know how it is. Yeah, life. Um, But there was a lot of contenders. Um, Architects played Alexandra Palace Mm, earlier this year. Wonderful. Very early in the year. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. I saw clips from it in that documentary that they released. Mm -hmm. Um... And I was very, very sad to not be there. Yeah. Mm. It it felt like a celebration. Um, 2000 Trees was absolutely rammed. Yeah. With I, good sets. A lot of my honourable mentions in gigs are sets from 2000 Trees. Mm-hmm. Turnstile, The Dirty Nil, The Excerpts. Um, Nervous. Yeah. Um, Conjurer at 2000 Trees was... And earlier. Yeah. I mean, that was a headline set. Yeah. That felt like their audition to headline... You know the second stage at Reading. Oh and, my God! I mean, if I had my, if I was boss of the world, the main stage. <laughs> which but, you're not. Which I'm not. But you're a bloody good bloke. Oh, thank you. Um, but my gig of the year is from Two Thousand Trees. It is Turnstile at Two Thousand Trees. That is my favourite. Wow. Um, I can't remember having kind of watched a band and just felt so excited mm. by them, and the energy was so infectious. And yeah, I haven't felt like that watching a, a live band elsewhere this year. So mm. that, that walks away with the golden tea bag for best gig. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, that turnstile set was in my honourable mentions for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to go and see Delta Sleep at the Joiners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even better than Delta Sleep, because Delta Sleep were great that night. And it was kind of testament to that rattly punk energy that kind of feels like the album's totally about to fall apart and yet it still stays together mm-hmm. that was kind of accentuated live um, but the support band was Tangled Hair who are another Big Scary Monsters kind of math rocky band yeah. much more in the sort of traditional math rock uh, sort of late 90s emo kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh, they're obviously hugely inspired by like the sort of more jazz leaning things like American yeah. Football and yeah. all of those sorts of bands and they were just so tight and it kind of made you it's like we were saying about Black Peaks earlier are they human? and then they would just stop playing a, they'd finish with one song and go into some of the funniest stage banter I've ever I've ever heard wouldn't be able to tell you any of it now because yeah. it was all just incredibly human I think they were talking about Marks and Spencer's crisps at one point <laughs> just and how good they are and then they'd just start a song without any counting and it's like Jesus you are incredible yeah. So that gets a mention. Uh, culture abuse, again, at the joiners. Yeah, that was a great time. Why I wore a jacket that night and didn't take it off at <laughs> any point. I was so sweaty after that gig. And 
I was so pleasantly surprised to... That was my first time seeing culture abuse. Yeah. I was so pleasantly surprised to hear that they're a lot punkier live than on record. Yeah. I don't think that's particularly a bugbear with the record at all. No. But seeing those songs with so much more of a a drive and, you know, David Kelling, their, their lead singer, snarling those songs instead of giving it that sort yeah. of cool... West Coast delivery he does on the record. A great cover of The Clash as well. Police on My Back. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Um, quite a thing to live up to, but they they did it amazing. Brilliant. I loved it. I did the uh I did the Ric Flair dance in in the mosh pit. That was quite Um, something. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it to bits. That was a great show. But my number one show of the year, um I was so excited from the minute they announced it, um, is Code Orange at the Wedgwood Rooms in Portsmouth. Uh I'd only seen Code Orange once before that, and it was at Download Festival. So what you saw was a sort of condensed festival mm-hmm. version of of the sort of live assault that is a Code Orange set. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then you know, kind of what I got at the Wedgwood Rooms was that with the added with the added intensity of what almost felt like a horror film, watching mm-hmm. a horror film unfold on screen. There's a section in their, their, one of their newer songs, Long Way Down. Is it Long Way Down? Or One Way Down? One, uh, on, only Way Down. Only One Way. Is it? I think. Okay. You know the song I'm on about, <laughs> no, right? Like the, about, yeah. the name of it escapes me, to be honest with you. Um, there's a middle portion of that song where they kind of extended it to make it just this mess of of sort of squalling feedback and synths Mm -hmm. and they kind of let the strobe lights go there was red lights going and there was a little bit of dry ice Mm -hmm. and uh you know that scene uh in alien uh where ripley's kind of running through the corridors of the nostromo yeah uh and the alarms are going and the camera's really shaky and it's just so intense Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a multi-sensory assault it kind of felt like the live music equivalent yeah. of that scene in Alien yeah yeah I totally understand it was everything I wanted from a Code Orange headline show and more and it was open by employed to yeah, serve I'm who were imagine. fucking ferocious <laughs> um, so that's my number one gig of the year should we do label of the year next label of the year why do I get the feeling we're going to have the same right of the year? say it on three ready Oh, no, no. Should we do a quick couple of honourable mentions? Yes. Let's do it very quickly. Uh, if Do you have any, or is it just me? Okay. want to shout out Venn Records this year, because, yeah, they put out the Rough Hands EP. They did, yeah. But they also put out EPs from God Complex and Chamber. They've sort of developed a little bit of an identity for themselves that they're just going to put out fucking nasty, guttural, hardcore EPs yeah. from the UK. I did make a note, actually, on the Rough Hands thing, that it is exactly the kind of nihilistic thing that Venn... I think really excel, yeah. excel at, I think at bringing through. Going into 2018, I really wanted them to develop more of a consistent identity. Mm-hmm. I love that they signed so many fucking weird bands and such a sort of across a broad range of genres. Yeah. But, um, like, shit me, they've absolutely knocked it out of the park with finding some of the UK's best hardcore bands yeah. um, this year. And I think they've really played on that people being so into the more guttural side of hardcore Mm -hmm. since Code Orange became massive. They've really played that to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that it seems at any point that Venn Records are doing anything particularly 
business. No. You know, it's never over calculated or corporate. It's always kind of very genuine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I also want to give a shout out. It's the first Albums of the Year podcast I've done where I've not been a, a sort of employee of Hassle Records. Mm. Um, and they've had a fucking brilliant year. Uh, the Pagan album was awesome. Yeah. I loved the uh, Casey album that mm-hmm. they uh, that they put out. Casey have now split up, unfortunately. Yeah, really Lonely the Brave are finally back with their um, uh, with their uh, new singer Jack. I mm-hmm. saw their first show with Jack, and I'm very excited for Lonely the Brave's mm-hmm. future. Band very close to my heart. You know, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Hassle Records guys because yeah. I do miss working for them, but they're mm-hmm. doing brilliant things. Yeah. Um, then, now okay, now it's time to talk about our label of the year. So we're we gonna say it on three. Done. Ready? One, two, three. Holy, Holy Raw. Raw Records. Yeah, <laughs> fine. Holy Raw. Holy Raw. Um, I mean, where do we start? I think one of the things I love about Holy Raw is the variety, mm. yet within a certain parameter that they've set yeah. for themselves. It would have been quite easy for Holy Raw to sign a bunch of young employed to serve. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like A bunch oh, of more bands that sound like employed to serve and they haven't. They've um, they've got a, a whole kind of plethora of heavy, kind of disgusting sounding mm. great bands that yeah. we love. I feel like, and I think I said this last year when they were a runner-up in the category mm-hmm. that um, uh, losing only to Big Scary Monsters, who again have had an awesome year, but uh, Holy Raw really take it for me this year, um, where they are developing again an identity for themselves that kind of puts them on a par with the more established uh, sort of extreme, quote unquote, extreme labels in the states mm-hmm. like Death Wish, like yeah. Relapse Records or Seasons of Mist. Uh, you know, labels like Sergeant House, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, oh no, are they US based? Anyway, more Irish. of these sort of, you know, left yeah. of centre labels, seeing them align with festivals like Roadburn and also Art Tangent, obviously, this mm-hmm. year. Um, where you feel like you can, where where you will listen to pretty much anything that a label puts out. Definitely. regardless of its genre because albums we didn't mention in this list the Svalbard record yeah. fucking brilliant really so nearly me. made my list yeah. uh, the Boss Colloid record mm-hmm. the new Ohms record is fantastic yep. Garganja um, yeah. the name just makes me laugh <laughs> um, but that was wicked doomy yeah. sort of really long drawn out record if you like Ren and Pain then go check out Garganja mm-hmm. Um and going into next year, they're gonna. They're, Ithaca are a band who I've got my eye on mm-hmm. pretty closely. AA Williams, a really sort of brilliantly dark solo artist that they've signed. Um, yeah. They're gonna be doing some uh, stuff at Roadburn next year, which is fantastic. It's it's a lot to be said about a label whose merch you'll wear with the same sort of yeah. respect that you will with a with a band. You Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I think I I've got a huge amount of respect for them because I think they share their ethos with bands. And not necessarily with businesses, you know, with yes, yeah, exactly. And they they have a really great approach and a really great ethos. Yeah, and like you know, I think if you think they're kind of pigeonholed into um into a certain sort of area of of metal, sort of the more extreme or 
alternative metal, I mm-hmm. guess you could call it. Yeah. Uh, then they signed an alternative rock band like uh, Modern Rituals. Have you listened to that Modern Rituals record? Yeah, I've heard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favourite record of the year. I think it's really, really good. And, I'm, I, you know, I, I, was, um, I was pretty excited for Modern Rituals anyway, but that... Uh, that debut record is is really really quite good. So um, you know it's great to see how they are even still. Roger a slow crush, yeah. a slow crush record. You know we talked about earlier, obviously, and how many albums were on our list? Like a good quarter of yeah, the list this year so. came from Holy Rock. Yeah, if which not is more. astounding. That's pretty. Uh... A lot to be said. Yeah. So Holy Rock Records, both our label of the year, um, song. Song. Did you find this as hard as I did? Yeah, it was the hardest one. It was the last one. Only this morning okay. I decided. Um, there was loads, a lot of which have been mentioned okay. already. Yeah, me too. I, my... think, I, I think there's only two songs in this list that I haven't mentioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, quick shout-outs. Um, Virus Vibrance by Vane. Yes, that was in my one. list. Broken Glass Complexion by Vane as well. Um, the Big Wild by Black Foxes was seriously in the running. Okay, cool. That is a song I absolutely. It's nice to love. hear like a non-album, uh, non-single. Yeah, like an album track. That's um, really cool. Multiple songs off of the Architects album. A few songs off of the Fucked Up album. Although I think that works. As yeah. A body of work. More within More. the context of an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, um, that's my thought. But what I landed on, surprising no one, was uh, Grand Paradise by Foxing. Well, that is brilliant. Just, yeah, uh, it doesn't yeah. follow a kind of traditional structure. Mm. I don't think. Um, a real interesting song. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I love that. That's very poetic. <laughs> um, so the only songs I haven't mentioned in this category, we're gonna go really quickly through this because mm-hmm. we are tight on time. Um, uh, Made in America by the Fever Three Three Three. Yeah. The um, the grand return of Jason Butler post yeah. Let Live Splitting Up. I know they're kind of splitting opinion, uh, certainly on the live scale. How do you yeah. feel about them very I quickly? I feel really optimistic about them. The EP doesn't do a huge amount for me. Um, I am really excited for the album yeah. based on the two sing- single. The two singles we've heard since yeah. the EP, Trigger and Burn It, yeah. Are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the best song they've done so far. It's full of energy and it's getting th- used on things like wrestling pay per views, which I'm yeah. stoked on, obviously, because it's got that fucking, uh, you know, uh, brilliant rap rock energy that mm-hmm. like the Black is Beautiful had, where that's like their amalgam of hardcore and hip hop. Yeah. Um, and I tell you what, if this was the new Rage Against the Machine single, we'd go, fucking fair play. Yeah. It's in that level of good. Mm. And yeah, that chorus is a little bit cleaner than some people might prefer Jason to be, but mm-hmm. it's just testament it to, to the fact the that he's an, yeah, people, fucking um, John Feldman. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, um, it may be cleaner than everyone wants it to be, but there's no denying how catchy it is. I mean, um, Jason's someone with a lot of important things to say, and I think if he's making music, I want to hear it, and it yeah. deserves to be on a on a huge platform. And I'm dying to see it live. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, my song of the year, uh, and it has been my song of the year, pretty much throughout the year since I heard it played live in January, and then I heard it on record around March time. Um, Get terrified by I told you I'd eat you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what more I can say about this that I didn't cover when we were talking about the the mm-hmm. record already. 
it's so tender and delicate and beautiful and and lush and sort of harmonious mm-hmm. uh the sort of vocals on the on the uh, on the verses um going into the sort of uh little sporadic vibrant explosions of um math rock genius mm. uh in the way that it does on get terrified uh is just um it's enough to make me weep at times yeah. um you know it's it's kind of quite abstract uh, in its lyricism um and i don't know the exact meaning behind it i really feel like i should for it being my song of the year but at the same time I think it if, speaks volumes about it that you don't and you still love it as much as yeah, you yeah it fills me with it fills me with joy and dread at the same time mm-hmm. uh and dread not in a bad way at all uh just the sort of the overwhelming feeling i get from get terrified and that sort of bridge where they kind of mm. that Joey and Holly are trading off of each other um is it gets stuck in my head for days and days and days on end it's barely left my head mm-hmm. since uh since the day it came out so get terrified i told you i'd eat you my song of 2018 shout out i told you i'd eat you right final category band of the year band of the year um, do you want to do honourable mentions for this? It, in all honesty, it was never going to be anyone else for me. Okay. Um, I've gone with Architects. Yeah. Uh, are, they are an honourable mention for me. Mm-hmm. So, I think if Architects went, look, we've tried. Yeah. We've tried to carry on, but there is just something here which means we can't. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going to end it. Thank yeah. you. We've been Architects. Good night, and we love you. Everyone would have been fine, mm-hmm. you know, fine with it. Um, the way they persisted and channeled their grief and their emotion into some of the best material they've ever done mm-hmm. is only to be applauded. Yeah. It's, that's what I've got to say about And it. I think there's a lot to be said about the way that they kind of... I say came back, they, they never really seemed to go away for... Mm. much of a period of time which is pretty amazing yeah um but to have the album drop with that Kerrang cover and the album mm. must have been announced what two months before it was out it was yeah it was long. a fairly like we thought oh wow there's been a lot of good records this year oh wait architects are coming fucking hell right back to the drawing board yeah um although it wasn't in my 20s you know yeah an amazing way to kind of to come back and, mm. and drop this album on us and their trajectory is just so fucking exciting yeah. um, so absolutely band of the year for me cool um, I've got a couple more I want to shout out for the way they've been uh, so inclusive and sort of conscious and outspoken um, my sort of joint runner up goes to Camp Cope and Nervous mm-hmm. um, for all the reasons we were talking about earlier um, but my band of the year um, is really because I think they deserve it for how persistent they've been and um, how they've kind of, they could have, I wouldn't, again, wouldn't have blamed them if after the last record they just got fed up and packed it in, but they stuck with it because it's what they believe in, it's what they love to do. And as a result, they've had their best year ever as a band and I am so excited for their future now because people are finally paying attention. My band of the year is Palm Reader. 
Awesome. Um, and, you know, fair fucks to them mm-hmm. for sticking with it. Yeah. Because 75% of bands, not more than that, most bands, they would have long given up at this point. Mm-hmm. But they're far too dogged and determined to let that get to them. And while they are sort of very... I think that's given them a, a sense of realism and it's kind of taken the rose-tinted spectacles off of them that mm-hmm. anyone has ever tried to put on them. And they're kind of not taking any shit for granted because they know this isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. So they're making the most of every second that they have in front of people. And I think that is what makes them the outstanding band of the year for me. Yeah, no But... Means. That is on the premise that they're not listening to this podcast. If they are listening to this podcast, my band of the year is not Palm Reader. They're awful cunts and I hate them. Also, uh, really great merch as well that yeah. makes me look particularly, I think, fetching. Svelte. Yeah. Makes you look svelte. <laughs> Palm Reader, all jokes aside, I love you. And Andy Gillen, you have lovely hair. But your farts do fucking stink. Um, Brad, there we have it. Yeah. That was our albums of twenty eighteen special. What it was a, year. a long old slog. It and was. Thank it you. wasn't a slog. It was a. Oh yeah, a no, it was a lovely moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was no, it was uh, such a pleasure to have you on here. Um, if you want to plug your Twitter, um, again. Yeah. Um. Just Brad underscore Thorn on At, Twitter or lowercase. Cool. And go and check out your writing for three D artist and three D world, and maybe even some music mags in the future. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see when we're going into twenty eighteen. Um, I want to do some thank yous because this is the last bitch and brew of 2018. We will be back in January with quite possibly the biggest guest ever to be on bitch and brew thus far. I am shocked. I haven't recorded it yet, so I've probably jinxed myself and it'll probably get cancelled at the last minute. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll be recording it and, uh, you know, um, it will be the biggest guest ever to be on bitch and brew yet and put Brad Thorne to shame. Um... I want to do some thank yous uh, just to kind of round off the year. Uh, first of all, I'm going to start with all my guests from this year. We started with 15 ep- uh, 14 episodes. Episode 15 was the first episode this year. Um, so I've got a list here. I'm going to rattle through all the people that appeared on the podcast. So I want to say thank you to Black Foxes, Weather State, I Told You I'd Eat You, Lightcliff, Guillotine, Heavy Hearts, The Lads at Failure by Design Records, Kamikaze Girls, Jamie Fucking Lemon, uh, The Excerpts, Orchards, Nervous, Funeral Shakes, Ash, my favourite band of all time, uh, James McKinnon, Mallory Knox, Palm Reader, Black Peaks, Kundra, Vukovi, Prestamico, Boston Manor, Father Son, The Dirty Nil, Glue, The Dune, Wallflower, Haggard Cat, Puppy, and my own dad, Mark Bomber Randon. Um, All the people behind the scenes who made these episodes happen. I couldn't possibly name them all, but special shout-outs go to uh, M and Harris over at Public City PR. Uh, Matt and Angela and Mark over at Devil PR. Hayley at Little Press. Sarah at Major Press. uh, Matt and Hannah at Hold Tight PR. James Sherry at Division Promotions. Um, and everyone else, I'm sorry if I don't mention you by name. Um, thanks to Ricky Bates for letting me steal his office multiple times at the Joiners in Southampton. Uh, congratulations on an excellent year at the Joiners for its 50th anniversary, mate. I promise I'll get you on Bitch and Brew in 2019. Uh, to the teams at Teddy Rocks Festival and 2003 for being so accommodating and letting me come backstage to record a bunch of stuff over their weekends. Um, this might seem weird, but I actually want to thank the podcasts that have inspired me this year. Uh, they've inspired me to carry on creating and doing what I do um, and, and loving every minute of it. So thank you to Stephen and Renfrey over at Riot Act. 
Uh, to M, Harris and Matt at Straight Outta Popcorn, my favourite movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bees, Ryan and Perrin at That's Not Metal. Jess at Don't Fret Club. The legend that is Dan P. Carter in his swim podcast. Uh, Tim Birkbeck, the man behind the brilliant Justin Insight podcast. Thanks for inviting me on for that 2003's review special, mate. And uh, lastly, uh, not a music-related one, but Jim Smallman. Uh, true inspiration for me as a podcaster with his podcast, Tuesday Night Jaw. Um, Jim, on the off chance that you are listening, it's uh, very unlikely, obviously, <laughs> but I'd love to get you on here when Progress Wrestling is in Bournemouth next year. I'll be there. I think I'm fourth row from the front. It'll be my first ever Progress show, and I'm stoked. Um, possibly not for the bit where people start ch- chanting it's your round because it's my first show. But yeah, Jim, uh, if you're listening, let's, uh, let's have a brew. Um, my penultimate thank you goes to the man sat right in front of me right now, Brad Thorne. Thank you so much for being a part of the Albums of 2018 hey, special. Thank you for having me. It's oh no, thank fun. you. It's been real fun uh, and thanks for the cuddle. <laughs> it's been lovely and your palm reader, lovely black long sleeve. Yeah, I'm going to take it off now. Oh, lovely. <laughs> We're going to spoon and listen to Conjurer. <laughs> Topless on my sofa. Um, hopefully it's not the last time we hear your voice on this podcast. You're no, welcome back any time. And, uh, and thank you for being a part of it. And my final thank you goes to you, the listeners of Bitch and Brew, the people that really keep this podcast going. Um, yes, I do record the interviews and publishers make the time to make sure the bands appear there and the bands give their time and and their energy and their attention uh, to me while I talk to them. But really, the life force of Bitch and Brew is is the audience and the people that send me lovely messages about the episodes every time. And um, really, you know, this year for me has been a bit of a weird one, like any year. Um, And it's been really, really hard at times, possibly some of the hardest times I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and every single time uh, Bitch and Brew has been there to uh, sort of bring me out of a dark place and kind of remind me why I'm here and why I do what I do and why I bring this to you whenever I can and uh, it's your support which keeps me doing that. Sorry, I'm getting a little (laughs) bit emotional Um, but I just want to say a festive thank you to all of you for listening. Again, if you like this episode, go and subscribe. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, ACAR, SoundCloud, all the usual, all the links are in the description of this episode. I don't know why I pointed down in person. <laughs> it's like I'm on a YouTube video. <laughs> Put links in the description. Um, go and like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. It'll all be in the description. Um, I'm really tired now. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to drive now, and it's going to be really good fun. So... Um, Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for listening. Thank you again, Brad. And Merry Christmas to you. You too. Enjoy Muppet Christmas Carol this afternoon. (laughs) My name's been Danny Randon, and it probably always will be. Thank you very much, and goodbye. (laughs)